What's going on, everyone? This is Alex Chateras here with another Knicks episode. And today we got a special guest. We got Corey Tullaba on the pod with us. And we're going to talk about more draft coverage now that the NBA Finals is concluded and have dubbed the LA Lakers uh, the champions. So now we're going to keep deep diving into all of our draft coverage. And so let me just give you a quick rundown besides draft coverage we're going to talk about today. We got uh, CP3, Victor Oladipo, Joel Embiid, all these high-profile free agents that Mark Berman mentioned up, so we're going to discuss a little bit about that. And then we're going to have to talk about the news of Cole Anthony potentially dropping down on draft boards. And then Corey's going to give us our, his top three picks for each swap for the Knicks of the 8th, the 27th, and the 38th. And John, what do we got for Etcetera today? What's up, Alex? For Etcetera today, we'll just get into the NBA bubble, the Lakers chip, uh, the Lakers legacy, um, and kind of talk about the Heat a little bit and uh, what's coming, what's in the future for them. Sounds good, John. All right, Ricey, you know what to do. What's going on, everyone? This is Alex Jeteris here with the Knicks, Jets, etc. podcast. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my buddy, my pal, the man who's still alive after this horrendous Jets loss, John Malika. What's happening today? Oh, it's been a tough sports weekend in general, man. We had the Yankees. We had the abomination of the Jets. Uh, but let's not even talk about that right now, man. We're we're on to we're on to basketball. The the finals are over, and it's time to it's time for our season to start. Our playoffs, the Knicks off season. Yeah, that's right. The Knicks. Oh, the Knicks consistent postseason, which is NBA draft coverage. And with us today, we got a phenomenal guest on the pod, Corey Taleba, to discuss the eighth, the twenty seventh, and the thirty eighth pick for the New York Knicks. Corey, how are you doing today? Uh, what's going on, fellas? Thank you for having me. I'm uh, I'm excited to talk NBA draft, even if that means that you know the Bulls fan in me has to talk about the Knicks. <laughs> the Bulls fan in you. It, okay, before we keep, before we even move forward with this, you're a you're a New Yorker, right? Lifelong. So, so then, how the hell did you become a Bulls fan living in New York? Yeah, so it's you know it, it's a little weird considering I was raised on the Mets the Rangers, the Giants, my family, all Knicks fans. I mean, I have a, a St. John's tattoo. Um, so I'm, I'm all New York outside of, of NBA basketball. And that's because when I was just about to turn seven years old, I watched my first NBA game. It was game six of the 1993 NBA Finals. Um, I had no idea what I was watching. I didn't really know all that much about Michael Jordan uh, previous to this or the Chicago Bulls and all the success they had. But I know that John Paxson hit the game winning shot in that game. And that's kind of how it started. I mean, if the Bulls lose that game, you're probably talking to a Phoenix Suns fan. I was so young and impressionable that I just wanted to follow the only two teams that I knew existed um, pretty much in the NBA at that point. So that's kind of it. It's nothing too complicated. And then, um, you know, I, I just stuck with it. It would have been easy for me to be a real bandwagon fan and hop on the Knicks train with the success that they had, you know, after uh, that first Bulls run and, and even into, you know, the late 90s. But I stuck with it and uh, I stuck with them during the bad times. My all time favorite player is uh, Kirk Heinrich. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm a real deal Bulls fan and it's weird being in New York surrounded all my best friends and, and my family. They're all Knicks fans, but that's it. I, uh, you know, I'm black and red. That That's so 
interesting, but it kind of makes sense. I mean, if you weren't like really around, like, or really like, in like, I guess in like your formidable years to understand like the Knicks, like, like impression, right? But I guess you were because you like you became a Bulls fan at that point. But I don't know. It's uh, I, I can I can kind of get it. So what success are we talking about here? I mean, nineties were pretty successful. Like, yeah, like a couple of finals runs. Yeah, you know, relative. I mean, it's, <laughs> relative to the Bulls. <laughs> I mean, the Bulls are like the key, like like idealistic, like idea of like success, right? Six chips with one cornerstone player in Jordan and like his great sidekick and Scottie Pippen, but. Yeah, you know, the Knicks, uh, we're going to be getting back on track, all right? That's why we got this draft coverage today. Honestly, Chicago and New York these days are kind of looking the same, right? Like, our front offices are kind of trash, right? <laughs> like, our, we, 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 now we have Tibbs, so it's kind of even a good insight. We, we've been kind of, like, trading players here and there. So, and I feel like everyone just always wants to fire our head coach, GM, and owner, just like the Bulls. Like, we're kind of on the same page these days. Yeah, new front offices that are hopefully going to turn things around. Like you said, there's been so many Bulls and Knicks that have crossed paths on, in both directions. Um, and like you said, Thibodeau, and I'm a big Tibbs guy. I longed for the days of Tom Thibodeau watching Fred Hoiberg and, and Jim Boylan. I'm very happy with Billy Donovan now and, and the direction that the team is hopefully headed. But uh, yeah, it's a little bit of crossover there. So pretty good. For sure. There's a little bit of a crossover. Uh I mean, we've both got new front offices, both got new head coaches, both are like in this prime position to be successful. Uh, it, it, you, I guess you're probably feeling the same way as we are. This draft is going to be very important for both of our teams and just will dictate the success moving forward. I guess for the Bulls, though, I want to know your opinion on this because we know Frank Hive is out there. Everyone loves Frank. And you said that your favorite player was Kirk Heinrich. Yes. You think it is fair? Because I have this like thought that I have not put out on Twitter yet, but I think Frank Nilkina could be another Kirk Heinrich. I, what do you think about that? I don't think that's fair. I think maybe Kirk Heinrich, like, end of his career. Um, I do think Frank is an exceptional defender, and I am all in on him becoming a valuable piece under Tibbs. But if we're going to go with a Bulls comparison for Frank, I think maybe you're hoping he's like a new age Keith Bogans, which uh, doesn't really sound great. But every time Keith Bogans had over uh, six points, the, the Bulls pretty much won. So if, if Frank can just get to that level, knock down open shots, kind of play off ball a little bit, you know, be a secondary tertiary, uh, tertiary creator, then, you know, I think he can find a valuable role. But Kirk Heinrich, he could ball when uh, when he was a little bit younger. He could put the ball in the hoop a little bit more consistently than Frank could. Sure, sure, absolutely. And I was just looking at some numbers, and I saw like some of like the same like progress with with regards to like minutes, rebounds, assists, just like the same like beginning of their career. Obviously, Kirk Heinrich uh, more was more of an established point guard when he came to the league and could handle the offense better and to have a better command, especially with the second unit. You just saw how tough and gritty he was, and the signature goggles that he always wore. Can't forget, uh, can't forget Kirk. Captain Kirk was a really good player for the Bulls, but. Let's go into a, a couple of Knicks news just to torture Corey here for a little bit. Uh, Mark Berman, John, I want to hear your opinions on this because we've been discussing CP3, Victor Oladipo. Berman put out this like interesting piece like linking all of these guys in either pot- potential trades or free agency discussions that uh, that these guys, well, most of them are going to be trade because they're still all under contract when we talk CP3, Oladipo, Embiid, so forth. How realistic do you think this is? And Corey, please chime in on what you think of uh, these type of rumors. I 
I think the most realistic one is CP3. I would stay far and clear of Oladipo. Joel Embiid, that is just a new one. I don't even know how to feel about that one. Cat, maybe further down the road. Paul George, I'll take a hard pass. <laughs> yeah, man. It, it, he got the the all-inclusive package, right? He got the one article and shoved every single you know tag name in there to link to the Knicks so that when we don't get A, a through E here, like we're good, it's gonna be oh the Knicks. How can you fail on this guy? Look how well he's doing. Look at this guy in the playoffs. Look at the Knicks were rumored to get CB3, and now he's on Milwaukee with Giannis, and they're doing well. Like it's just all nonsense, man. Obviously, the Knicks are not gonna trade for Joel Embiid. Like they just got Doc Rivers. They're they're trying to build something over there. Like why are they gonna trade to the Knicks? Paul George, he has a ridiculous contract, and he's on the Clippers. Like who? We, I mean, we fleeced Jerry West once, and I know I'm not allowed to say it out loud because of a Marcus Morris first-round trade. Like, I know, like, Jer- you know, West and the Knicks, like, it's just – it's not allowed to be said out loud. But you really think that we're going to get a good deal for Paul George? I, I don't know. I, I don't think that the Knicks are going to make any radical moves until they're forced into the corner around the trade deadline, right? Because we already have the weird offseason. It's going to be moved to January. And then who knows when the trade deadline is going to be. And whatever those two, three months they'll have, and we'll be able to maybe snag a cat on the trade deadline for our whole team and a bunch of first-round picks if that's really the way they want to go. But honestly, it, I'm with you as to if you made gun to my head, have to choose one, it would be CP3. But none of these guys are going to be on the Knicks, man. <laughs> Literally none of these guys. Yeah, I agree. Corey, what are your thoughts on this? I actually agree as well. I think that names like Joel Embiid, Cat, Paul George, or Pipe Dreams, uh, I think for any of those guys, you need like established good players to send back, and the Knicks don't yet have that. Definitely not at the level of the return they want. Like Those teams are not trying to rebuild or, or gain future assets necessarily. They're trying to win a championship. Um, I mean, Cat, obviously the, the Timberwolves aren't trying to win a championship. Um or maybe they think that they are, but they're they're trying to get to the playoffs. But I don't I don't see who exactly is going to help them do that by trading them to the Knicks. You need to start getting creative in some weird three four team made up trade that you would see on the internet. Uh, I I buy that there's interest in Chris Paul and Victor Oladipo to some extent. I think that if you can get Oladipo where he just becomes toxic to Indiana and you can trade some kind of minor asset for him that it might be worth the risk seeing if he can recover on a short-term basis because his contract is is ending fairly soon um and cp3 you know what i could see it but with that said i think other teams are going to have better packages i think that what's happening is like usual and this is something that happens in chicago as well anytime you have a big market team that is struggling to find any kind of success you throw those teams in an article and it bumps up, you know, the player's value in in some capacity. Now, again, I think there's genuine interest. I just see other teams that are going to be willing to be like, hey, Chris Paul will take us over the hump. Let's go for it. And and while I I think that Chris Paul would do wonders for the Knicks in a one-year, two-year window, I I don't see it necessarily happening because I believe that there are, you know, packages that are better um, unless the Knicks start throwing in a bunch of picks, and why would they do that? It, it doesn't make sense because he's also not going to take them to a championship level 
in the seasons that he would be there. So I don't think that he's a guy that would be worth it necessarily, unless you're just all in on fixing, you know, the culture and doing the thing that New York teams always do, which is rush the process. And uh, hopefully what happens with this new Knicks front office and with Thibodeau is instead of rushing the process, they just take what they have and build, um, you know, organically and internally. And when the right time occurs, that's when you strike and you go out after the guy that'll put you over. And, and I don't think that they're at that level yet. I totally agree, Corey. And, you know, I think we've all said it. The most realistic ones are Old Depot and CP3, which probably has the most interest because it would take the Knicks into that next step kind of a little bit past the rebuilding phase into that transition of like competing while still building a culture and stuff. I My point for CP3 is that I think uh, you don't necessarily need him to take him to that championship at uh, taking to that championship level right now. And he is a good culture builder. We saw what he did with OKC. They were like not even supposed to be in the playoffs. And now he can leave them and they're probably in a better position now that Billy Donovan's get away. And no, not necessarily because they're losing to Billy Donovan, but the, the way that they develop culture, right, with SGA, Schroeder, uh, you had, a, a, what was it, Dort, right? All these guys have now elevated their game under CP3, and they have a better understanding of how to play the game because they've had a true leader. And I could I would take that for one to two years with the Knicks because we have not had a point guard since Raymond Felton, who's in our top, uh, who's our starting point guard of the decade. So I would take that for two years. And with the contract that we're discussing, you know, Two years. Who are we getting in twenty? We're not getting Giannis, so I'm not even. I don't even care who we spend for the next two years. It doesn't really make a difference for those next two years for me. So I would. I'd be all. I wouldn't be all in. It depends on the package that we trade for him. But I totally agree there that there are better trade packages, especially from Philly, from Milwaukee. Like Milwaukee could just empty the vault at this point, have no first round picks if they really want him, just to make that last push and try to keep Giannis. Whatever. But Knicks are kind of hard pressed for that one. And sticking with the Knicks, obviously, because this is a Knicks podcast, we see another article from Berman this week talking about the dropping in Cole, uh, in Cole Anthony's uh, draft value. And now that we got a draft expert and Corey here on the on the pod, Corey, how do you read this? Do you think do you think that this draft is just all over the place, which people are saying, or do you think that we're, when I say all over the place, that no one really knows, like? Who's going to go where? There's not really a gauge because we didn't get like uh, we didn't see uh, college championship runs, whether it's the ACC title and so forth, and we didn't have really a March Madness. So, is there just are we just trying to like put together a draft board that no one really has like a good concept over? And this is just kind of like throwing darts with regard. It, it don't I think the only exception would be the top three. But let's hear what you got to say about this. Yeah, I mean, I, to some extent, definitely. I think that especially as the draft goes on, there's just a range of players where the draft kind of flattens and it's all about like how teams view each player. And they've had, I don't know, a hundred years to, to scout and, you know, interview and all and make up their minds about each player, which also can get to the point of like, do you start overthinking it? And are you going to be like watching guys so often that you start really nitpicking their flaws and then you, you change your mind and you go. So it's going to be interesting to see which front offices actually have legit scouting departments um, because, you know, who knows how weird this combine is going to be if it's done virtually. And like, you know, we saw the interviews are done on zoom and all this. And it's, you know, it's, it's weird without seeing guys in person um, and, and seeing how their skills have progressed over 
this entire quarantine period. Um, it's definitely going to lead to some uncertainty. In regards to Cole, I, I don't know, man. I, I think that he's a name that New Yorkers know, and he's going to generate clicks. So whether that is a positive article or a negative article, and I probably would say that there's going to be both in the next month leading up to the draft, he is going to be a guy that gets clicks. You know, you, if Berman starts talking about, uh, you know, Obi Toppin or, or Devin Vassell, I don't think people are going to open up those links as much. So I think that in regards to Cole, you know, I've heard from, you know, rumors reading stuff that teams don't like his attitude and, you know, that's why he's slipping and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't know how much of that is true. I don't know the kid. Um, I have a pretty reliable source and uh, when it comes to the draft and and he hasn't really told me much in regards to, to Cole's um, perception around the league. But as far as the Knicks go, I think it's hard with a lot of these guys who who claim that they have sources because it is such a new front office and we don't know how they operate. Maybe maybe they're leaking stuff left and right, but you know, with a guy like Cole Anthony, there's not really a reason at pick eight to send smoke screens. You know, most people don't have him in the top ten at this point. Um, so, what reason is there to be like, oh, Cole Anthony is a, a bad kid and he's got an attitude problem and he's you know all this stuff? Like by all accounts, I mean he's a hard worker who comes from a basketball family and has been training with Chris Brickley for probably since he was 13 years old. So it's, you know, and he's been playing against pros. It's not like there's going to be any shocking thing. I think NBA people probably know all they need to know about him already over the last few years from the AAU circuit to workouts and player interactions, no, you know, talking to his dad. Uh, I think that there's everything you need to know. I don't know if we're going to learn anything from, you know, New York post articles or something. Okay, totally get you on that. I think with Cole, right? So we have so many, as you as you just like so eloquently like noted out, there's so many things that are just circling around Cole. But do you think that, I guess, like, are, do you think this is, this is just rumors just trying to spread it? Like, is it, I know it's like a lot of click for New York because he's a New York guy. He's been here. Dad was on the New York Knicks. Like people are always love that connection of just like, oh my God, look, his pops used to play on the team. We did the same, like people were doing the same thing with Mesa to a certain extent because his son was playing in Niagara. It's like, yo, let's get Mesa's son here. Mesa's son is killing it in Niagara. And, you know, not as heavy as Cole because Niagara is nowhere near the level of UNC or any or any of those type of type uh, D1 schools, right? Um, but do you think that like a lot of this is just warranted or you just think this is more so like a lot of clickbait? And like, I guess, do you have any... I guess, what would you say is like Cole's actual value in the draft? Like, where would you have him around? Yeah, so, you know, Cole is really tough because he had an, a really up-and-down year, really inconsistent. You know, he, his debut, he looked like he was going to be Damian Lillard, and then, you know, he he trailed off. He got hurt. He came back. He was playing, coming off an injury. My thing with him is, and I probably have him somewhere around, like, the early 20s on my board, and it's not necessarily because of talent or anything. It was really hard to break down his game. And then it's also hard to figure out, like, if he doesn't reach the top level that he can get to, his, his ultimate, like, fulfilling his ultimate potential, it's hard to see his kind of point guard succeed in anything other than, like, a six-man-off-the-bench role. So, so what is that worth? And I don't think that 
he has the defensive abilities or the size um, to kind of be in that upper echelon of point guard because there's so many that are good. You know, Steph, Dame, um, CP3 is going to be around forever. Luca, LeBron, like all these guys who you consider a point guard, like what's it going to take for Cole Anthony to take the reins as a primary ball handler? How many points does he have to score? Does he have to get to 27, 28 to be, you know, a guy who reaches that level? Can he get to the free throw line that often? Um, And is his playmaking ability good enough to complement his scoring? I think it's better than he showed at North Carolina. I think that his situation there didn't help things at all. Um, They didn't have any spacing. Nobody could hit shots. They played with multiple big men. The, The lane was clogged. It took away a lot of his strengths. And he still managed to have some some good moments, but I don't know. I just the reason I have him lower is because I don't know if his attacking game in close, his finishing, his ability to to score efficiently is going to get to the level that it offsets the chance that it doesn't. Um, I think there are guys that have the same amount of potential as him that are easier to fit into other roster, you know, other parts of a roster that you're building than Cole. And that's the thing. Like, there's a, f- a few guys in this draft that they are guys that are the man. They're and not like, all right, if he's not the man, he could be the fifth starter or the fourth starter, the third starter. It's like him, Lamelo. Like, you give him the keys. I don't see them necessarily fitting in um, with a roster in the same way that that other guards can. So, to me, I think there are guys that I would take much higher than him, and sp- especially for the Knicks, if he was there at 27. Go get him. Take the shot because if he hits, then you're looking at amazing value. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would consider him earlier than that for the Knicks. If they trade back, depending on who's off the board, maybe. But uh, at eight, you know, that's a little early. And and I think that his play gave enough question marks without having to worry about you know the rest of the concerns that are being put in the media now uh, to not consider him till later in the draft. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't see I don't see the Knicks trading back. I would be okay with them trading back. I think that's the best move in this draft, especially being around the eighth pick. You can go get some other guys who are, you know, projected to drop later, like Kara Lewis, um, someone along, someone along the lines of that type of status. But for Cole, you you mentioned that maybe his potential could be a six man off the bench, right? If that's the case, right? Say that's the highest that he reaches in the NBA. And I'm no expert. I'm just, we're just talking theoretically, right? What value then of that pick? Would you say that's a 20s? Is that outside of the lottery? Where, where, where is that then? I mean, if he's a good six man that, you know, impacts winning on good teams, I think in this draft, that could be a back end of the lottery player. Um, because, you know, you, you know, any draft, like there are going to be guys that, different spots who are bench players that are more valuable than guys that went way higher and, you know, failed the starters. So it all depends. I mean, it's like Dennis Schroeder was a good bench player this year. If Dennis Schroeder was in this draft, he'd probably be a lottery guy, even knowing that he was a six man. So it doesn't mean that he can't have a, a career that you look back and go, why didn't he go higher in the lottery? Or why wasn't he a lottery player? If he slips out, um, you know, buddy healed, you know, he's a guy who was coming off the bench this year. If you got a guy who could score like that coming off the bench, would that be a lottery pick? I think so. So, you know, it, it all depends about how he 
like as a six man, if he's just a gunner who's chucking shots left and right, that could be a bad thing. But if he's a six man, that's like, all right, he can play make a little bit, get guys involved, and then he could also be a microwave scorer. I think that that could be a guy who is worth a back end of the lottery pick. But the question becomes like, how does he view himself? Because it's hard to accept being a bench player when you are a guy who's on magazine covers and you've been a star and you've got ball is life mixtapes and, you know, an Instagram following and a, a TikTok following. Like it's hard to let your ego go and be like, that's what I want to be. And he shouldn't be there yet. He hasn't even been in the league yet. He should aim to be the top end version of himself. But if the top end version of himself ends up being a six man, if he accepts that role, I think he could excel at it and make the most of it and have a really long career. If it turns out that he's a guy that blows past it, great. And if not, and there's a team who who drafts him too high and is just like, all right, he's our guy. We got to stick with him. He's got to be in the starting lineup and he's scoring inefficiently and like, we're going to have a really negative view of him as a player. So he's all over the board in his outcomes. And it's all going to be about where does he go? What kind of player development? Uh, is there realistic expectations placed upon him? Uh, because he's a name. These are all things that, you know, are, are my concerns with him. And I, I don't even have the concern, like, can he handle New York or any of that stuff? Like, yeah, he can handle New York. <laughs> it, it, it'll be fine. He went to North Carolina and he's from a basketball family from New York. He's famous already. He'll be fine in that regard. It's just all the other stuff. You know, that, that's the kind of stuff that I would worry about with him um, if I was thinking about taking him. So then what team do you see Cole Anthony going to? And why is it not the Knicks? Um, well, again, I think there are just better players available at the Knicks pick. Um, so, so that's why I don't think the, the Knicks are going to take him. But if I was a team, and again, I have him around like, the 20s or so but if I was a team like Orlando depending on who's available I might take a shot on him I think he could fit there they're always looking for point guard help I mean you know DJ Augustine is on the older side Markel Fultz can he's big enough that he could be a two um as well so he could be a guy that that fits there uh you know maybe the 76ers take him in the 20s they they need shooting um, as bad as anybody does. So it, it could be, could be them. Uh, you know, maybe he goes to Utah or, you know, one of these places that we've seen guys like him succeed in before, you know, th- there's a lot of options in the twenties. And as you start getting further down, the Mavericks could be good. You know, he doesn't have to handle the ball all the time. He can just work on, uh, spotting up and, and then taking advantage of all the pressure that, that Luca brings to him. So there's a lot of places where he could succeed, um, it's just, again, all fit and you know, how, how that works. If, if Brooklyn takes him, how's he going to feel playing behind Kyrie and how is he going to grow in that regard? So there, there's a lot of different places that you're like, okay, that works or that doesn't work. Um, but as far as the Knicks, I just think there are guys available at that slot that have more potential. For sure. To- I totally agree. And, uh, I guess the last time before I jump it over to John, see if he has any questions about Cole, you know, you mentioned about him wanting to be more successful than being a six-man, totally. It's all about, you know, what the player wants is one thing and what they can actually attain based on their skill set, their physical ability, uh, how uh, serious they are at learning the game and wanting to improve their craft every single day. You know, that's one thing. But then you also have management who can see it and can read all this and know th- and knows their value, you know. Um, I agree that getting a six-man who could be a great scorer like a microwave scorer can play make that's totally worth the lottery pick. There's guys who go in the lottery who, you know, flame out after their rookie contract and we never hear about them again. Um, 
I think, you know, for, you know, when we talk about six men and I just to add on this, you know, uh, Wu Wu is another guy who didn't want to be a six man. He came in the league, wanted to be a starter. And then, you know, that's something when you get around like your fifth, sixth, seventh year, where you're like, I'll, I'll be the six man. I could see this being a good role. And then might as well name the trophy after him at this point between him and Jamal Crawford. Those are like the two most notable six men uh, in the NBA. But John, do you have anything on Cole that you want to ask Corey? No, I just, I mean, I think I'll go back to what you said before about how we haven't had a point guard and how you're pointing to Raymond Felton. I mean, I think that's, that's where this all comes together. I think we spent way too much time on Cole Anthony. And I think that he's getting all this um, notoriety as you guys pointed out because of his last name and because there was no tournament. Like we already know what we have in Cole Anthony. We know that he can't be the starting point guard for the New York Knicks and has nothing to do with the fact that he can't handle New York or any of that nonsense. He just doesn't fit on our team. We know what he is. And it's all, again, this is all just like, this is what you get when your last name is Cole Anthony. Like, there is no scout. There is no scouting combine. Everything is weird, but this is what you get. Like you get to have your name in the New York post, like, and be linked to all these teams. And again, this will come back to bite the Knicks. If he turns out to be good, it just is, it just is the way it is. It's kind of like the Donovan Mitchell deal, right? Like the Donovan Mitchell, nobody wanted Donovan Mitchell on the Knicks, like during the draft, like nobody. But as soon as he started doing good, it was like, Oh my goodness. How can the Knicks pass on Donovan Mitchell? Like just complete incompetence. And, like, so that's really what this is because well, let's get into it. Like, is he even, like, the, is he even the top five point guard in, in the draft right now? Like, we have the eighth pick. Is he even the top five? Like, we, we just spend so much time on him. Uh, Mark Berman, like, is talking about how all – he talked about all, like, the positives of Cole Anthony in that article. But I don't know. Like, I, I would take Halliburton ten times out of ten over Cole Anthony. Like, ten times out of ten. Yeah, I don't think he's a top five point guard in the draft either. So, and I would also take Halliburton before him. And and I have Halliburton in the twenties as well. Um, so, you know, you got I would take Lamelo, or if you traded up or he slipped, Killian Hayes. Uh, you know, I would take Tyrese Maxey, even though he's not a true point guard. Um, there's a lot of guys. You know, Tyrell Terry, um, Malachi Flint. There's a lot of guys I would. I would take before Cole. So yeah, I don't know. I, again, I think that it's basically a thing for clicks mentioning Cole in New York. I think if you travel around to all the other um, markets in the league that are around the same pick the Knicks are, I doubt you're getting much Cole Anthony talk. It's he's here. He's training in the city. He's from New York. His dad played for the team. He's got a lot of hype played at Carolina. That's why you're getting Cole Anthony news in New York. It has, it, it's not, I think what his value is. If we're wrong and teams are actually way higher, so be it. Right. But, uh, I, I think that where there's smoke, there's fire. And I don't think that he's a guy that you're going to see, um, in end up in that range because he'll, I think he'll be available a little bit later. All right. Good to know. Uh, and I mean, we have to talk about it because it is a realistic option because he is linked to the Knicks and you can't not discuss this, but let's get into the crux of this podcast today. Let's talk about our three draft picks for the Knicks. And I think this is a good time to transition into that. And so, and my, my apologies for 
the podcasters. I did Corey injustice without giving him his proper titles introduction at the beginning of this podcast. So this is Corey Tolobo, as I mentioned earlier, the owner and the creator of the Hardwood Herald, known for his draft coverage and deep dive into basketball uh, movies, Netflix, which is uh, nothing but Netflix, right? Is, is that the, the, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, nothing but Netflix. Nothing but Netflix, which is a great freaking title. Uh, love the one on uh, Coach Carter, and I also love the one on uh, Eddie. Those are two Those are two really good ones. Um, Appreciate it. Appreciate it. <laughs> so, Corey, Knicks, we were there draft night. Some of us were crushed. Some of us were not surprised because Knicks have been falling back since 85 after getting Patrick Ewing. So for the eighth pick, give us your top three options, and you can throw in some honorable mentions as well. Who would be your top three choices for the Knicks at number eight? Okay, so my first choice would be Kyra Lewis Jr., um, who I have fifth on my board, which is probably higher than a lot of other people. I think that if you look at mock drafts, he's projected anywhere from like back end of the lottery to the early 20s. I think that that's crazy. If you look at the way the NBA game is played, he is an absolute speed demon in the way that like De'Aaron Fox and Kobe White is. He can knock down tough shots. You go under because you're trying to stop him from getting to the hoop because he's fast. He's going to knock down the shot. You you overplay him and he is going to blow by you. Uh, you look at the way that the game is played, the pace, the space. These are guys that succeed. His shooting is real. He he hits tough shots off the bounce. He's not just like a catch-and-shoot guy who needs time to set up. He shoots off the bounce. His playmaking is underrated. Go look at some of the passes that this kid makes. Left-handed, live dribble through, you know, three guys collapsing. He's a, he's a legitimate passing option, I think. Um, and, you know, people say that he's not a great decision maker, and that's the knock. And I just wonder, like, how many of these other point guards are quote unquote great decision makers? Because I guarantee a lot of the same people who are questioning Killian Hayes, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Kyra Lewis's decision making are praising Killian Hayes's decision making, and he has a lot of the same troubles. So I think it's just like he's not a pop super popular name. We didn't get to see a player like him in the tournament and rise. Um, and I He's a sophomore, even though he's younger than most of the prospects in, in the class. So I think people, you know, underrate older guys who have been there. He literally wasn't old enough to be drafted last year as a freshman. Um, so to me, outside of his slight frame, which it's like he's a 19-year-old kid, he's going to get stronger. Um, uh, to me, I think he's a no-brainer top 10 pick. And I think that with the way that Tom Thibodeau, you know, runs offense for point guards like him you, from – Derek Rose to DJ Augustine, Nate Robinson, uh, you know, Jeff Teague. I mean, all of these guys have similarities in some capacity to, uh, to Kyra Lewis. And I think that he's a, he's a Thibodeau kind of guy. So to me, he's, he's a guy I would, I would strongly consider if he was available. And I think he's probably the most realistic to be available out of my top three guys for the Knicks. Um, second, I would have Devin Vassell. And who I think is another Tom Thibodeau kind of guy. He, to me, is kind of like new age Luol Deng. You know, nothing pops off the screen, nothing fancy. But the guy is just going to play on a bunch of winning teams. You know, six, eight, long. The most impressive health defender that I've ever scouted. Um, he's He protects the rim. He averaged a block a game. He gets in the passing lanes. 
He's smart as hell. Florida State switches everything so he could switch <laughs> defensively. Um, he gets down in his stance. He guards. And then he's a guy who can shoot it. Shot over 40% from three. I actually think if there's one thing to worry about, it's that his shot needs a few alterations. He he kind of like, I want to say he like chucks it almost a little bit. His release is a little high. And uh, the volume wasn't super high. So the 40%, I think, is a little bit misleading, even though he shot it really well for two years. But I think it's fixable. It's not like his shot is broken. And I think he's a guy that is just going to impact the game. And if you're looking at fit, and granted, this high in the draft, it's hard to look at fit, in my opinion. I'm a best player available guy. But I think he might be both. He fits next to RJ. He's a guy who isn't going to handle the ball a ton. So if you want to put the ball in RJ's hands a lot, He's a guy that's going to space out, make cuts, get out in transition. He can cover for, uh, you know, whatever wing you you want to play that is a good scorer offensively and doesn't. And then if you look defensively, if you put Frank and Mitchell Robinson and Devin Vassell on the court together, you have the makings of an elite defense. So to me, he is also like a no-brainer. I think that he might be gone by pick eight, but there's also a chance that he's not. Um, and then my third guy which is probably, I don't know, a little bit against the grain, but also not because he was a player of the year, is Obi Toppin. And the way I look at him is, yeah, I have the defensive concerns. Um, but I'm not concerned that he's quote-unquote old. He's uh, you know 22 years old. He is an incredibly gifted scorer. And if you are a Knicks fan and you believe that Mitchell Robinson is your defensive anchor, if you're somebody who thinks that Mitchell Robinson is the future at center, then Obi Toppin is a guy that you can play next to him. You don't have to worry about the defensive concerns as much because you have what you believe is an elite center protecting the rim and you know making all of those mistakes that Obi Toppin might make um, disappear. Offensively, you put him and... Mitch together, you have two guys that are going to score everything around the hoop. They fin- they will finish everything. Mitchell Robinson just broke the record, you know, Wilt Chamberlain's field goal percentage record. Obi Toppin is an unbelievably gifted uh, post scorer. And then he also is a guy who can stretch the floor. I'm a believer in his shot. I think if you look at the form, um, you know, the numbers suggest that he's a good shooter, but it's low volume, so I get it. But I think the eye test matches the numbers. And I think that as he gets to the NBA, and especially with all of this extra time off for him to continuously work on that shot, again, another guy working with Chris Brickley, um, he's going to be a very good shooter. So you have a guy who can get out of Mitch's way down low You have and space the floor. You could put him in a pick and roll. You hit him in the short roll. He's an, a really underrated passer. He has legitimately good vision. So he's a guy that's going to make people better in that short roll the same way that, you know, Bam or Draymond um, is going to. And I just think that, again, if you believe that that uh, Mitch is the guy next to him, I think they fit well together. And I think that the defensive uh, concerns kind of get get erased a little bit. So, so to me, those are my three guys that I think are Knicks-type players. And one more thing with Obi. If Tom Thibodeau can make Carlos Boozer a productive player, he can make Obi Toppin a productive player. <laughs> I love the Carlos Boozer. That is just a name that, you know, I can't, I just, like, I know him, I, I think most NBA junkies remember him on the Bulls. I just remember him, like, ending out on the Lakers, and that was just an oddball team with, 
was he there with Nash and Dwight? Am I am I thinking that correctly, or am I going nuts? I I think that he was. I mean, he was definitely around that era. I don't. Well, no, that was no. He 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 was probably he was he had to be with the Bulls at that point. It had to be post because Nash and Dwight was two thousand what like twelve, thirteen, something like that. I think something along those lines. Um, so he was definitely still with Chicago. No, no, no. What, no, that was later because 12 and 13 Lakers were still, or maybe it was. I got it. John, fact check. Fact. There's no way to know. Yeah, fact check it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what is it? Um, so I got, a question, I, got, I got a couple questions with those picks. First of all, you must have listened to or really been following me on Twitter and seeing that I love Carol Lewis Jr. So this is just like you're, you're just – Hitting me right in the heart with this one because I love the way the kid plays. I love this. I love speed. It's a demon in the NBA. If you have speed, and I'm not saying he's like these players, but if we look at John Wall, Darren Fox, it just it you can't teach speed, and it's hard to get. It's hard to even improve to be even that much faster, right? So if we have someone who's just a speed demon who can burst up and down court and just play in transition, which looking at this Knicks team, they were terrible in transition. It was just such a slow pace, and it was killing me i'd go to westchester g league games watch the westchester knicks play and they were moving the ball at such a level where it's just more entertaining just off the off the charts but the one of the concerns with kira uh kyra is it that's pronounced so for kyra right uh a lot of people talk about his size being able to be switchable from one to two is that something we should really concern about if he's going to be a point guard where do you stand on that uh, I think he's a pretty good defender. Um, obviously, if he stays at the the weight that he's at now, which there's also rumors he's already put on weight um, and doesn't develop his body at all, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of worry, but he is a guy who moves his feet really well laterally. He'll switch out onto two guards, and and he'll be able to at least get a hand up. I mean, I don't think there's a ton of guys from the two position that are going to be like, oh, mismatch let me go take him down low into the post like the, that's not the way the game is played so you know if there's any worry about switches it would be like how does he switch onto bigs and then that just gets into the team defense aspect and your whole team defense has to be on on a on a string there and and being able to scramble and, and switch matchups you know really quickly so yeah, I'm not worried about him defensively he he's going to suck his first year probably his second year but just about every rookie sucks on defense his first or second year. And if the Knicks take him, Tom Thibodeau is going to teach him how to play defense. And if he can play defense at all, he's going to succeed. And I, I believe that he can. I think he showed a lot of good signs. He hustles. You know, he, I think that he stays with his man so well that if you watch, like go watch the, the breakdown that I did. There's a bunch of times where he's just straight up staying with his man and gets his hand on the ball and blocks a shot from a standstill guarding on, on jump shooters. You know, so I, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic that he'll be able to guard in the NBA to a point, um, you know, point of attack and whatnot. But at the end of the, the day, again, is Mitchell Robinson the guy? Because if he is, as long as you can kind of stay with your man and and funnel guys into whatever direction Tibbs wants to funnel guys, um, then he's going to be valuable at that if there's a rim protector. And um, so I'm not worried about the defense with him, and I think his offense is going to be valuable enough to offset any you know concerns or, or weaknesses that he has on that end. Yeah, I, honestly, it, it's hard for me to get on board with that uh, Mitchell Robinson as a defensive anchor. Like I love Mitch, right? And like I'm I'm with everyone who like loves Mitch, but I watch too much Knicks basketball to 
like have this idea in my head that Mitch Robinson is Tyson Chandler. Like he, he I want him to be Tyson Chandler, like, uh, or like Rudy Gobert. Like I see those spurts in him, but I also see way more like three fouls in two minutes or just like, I can't find him on offense or defense because there's no, even though we have like nine power forwards, you know what I mean? So like something is missing here. So uh, that's what makes me uncomfortable about like having OB or Lewis and saying we're good on defense. And especially with Tibbs, I just don't see it happening, but you, what's funny is you have Lewis for Alex, but my guy Vassell (laughs) is your second guy. And he really does seem to me like the prototypical Tibbs guy. Because as you mentioned, all these guys are going to suck first year, especially with no conference tournaments, no NCAA, like a weird scouting combine. I'm sure it's going to be a weird preseason. Like we saw what's going on in the NFL. Like it's all weird right now. Um, And Vassell's going to suck on offense. Like let's be straight up. Like he's just going to stink on offense. But do you think that it's going to be – do you think that it's a major concern or – he could kind of like just play defense, you know, like figure it out. And then we'll kind of like the antithesis of uh, Kevin Knox. Right. Or, you know, he was just like, all right, like you can't figure out the defense. You got the shot. We'll figure out the D later. And then it kind of like broke that down. Well, I think that anytime you're valuable on defense, it's easier to figure out the other stuff later because the defense will keep you on the floor. You know, even if you were a guy who doesn't figure out how to occasionally run a pick and roll or, you know, uh, attack the basket on a hard close or just is inconsistent with his shooting. If he's what I believe he'll be on defense, it's going to keep you on the floor with Tibbs. I mean, again, this is, I can't believe the second time I'm um, mentioning Keith Bogans on this podcast, I would never want to hear that name again, but like Thibodeau played that dude a lot of minutes. He started him over better players because he knew that he could trust him defensively. Devin Vassell is a guy that I think Bogans, man. I will take Keith Bogans on. Like, I keep trashing him. Like, we could have used Keith Bogans for the last like eight years. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, if the Knicks took Keith Bogans, they might have took his defensive abilities and tried to turn him into Aaron Aflalo. Um, but we also had for a year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I I think it's way easier to do you know the the inverse of Kevin Knox, where he's going to be good defensively right away, and they'll figure out the offense later like I said, either way, you're not expecting a ton out of rookies. Even the good rookies are not necessarily good. It's very rare that you have uh, Luca or Ja Morant or, or Zion or, or whatever, you know, these wing position players, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, they took years to develop. You know, they didn't come in and just start dominating right away. Kawhi, you know, he, he was good as a rookie. He played valuable minutes, obviously, but he wasn't Kawhi yet. These guys take time. You have to have patience. Not always the strongest suit in New York, patience. Um, but if things are going the way that it looks like they are with the people that the Knicks hired this time around, that could be, it could happen. There, It could be a situation where people learn to be patient because they see actual results, even if it's not tangibly turning into wins right away. But yeah, Vassell, he's probably going to struggle moving the three-point line back a little bit. But again, like you said, it's weird, right? So these guys are going to have possibly a year of an offseason. You know, there's rumors that the NBA season is not going to start until February or possibly even March if NBA owners want to get fans in the seats. The college season ended in Mar- like March 11th-ish, you know, the same time. So it's possibly like a year. These guys are going to have time to work on their weaknesses, and it's easier to get in the gym 
and get up shots than it is to be like, all right, who am I, what NBA level player am I going to go one-on-one with and work on my defense? So, you know, it, these guys who might have some offensive weaknesses, they have time to work on those. It, it, you know, so, so for Vassell, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be worried about it. As much as he might struggle the first year just because everybody hasn't played basketball at that point in a year, he's going to be fine on that end eventually to the point where you know he's scoring 15 points a game consistently and that defense you're looking at, okay, this is a guy who can guard every single position potentially you know, in spurts. All right. So is there like a Jonathan Isaac comparison there or is that just like my eyes and the FSU jerseys like taking over? Uh, my thing with Isaac is his size is just so much better. You know, like Isaac is what? He's like 6'11", you know, and he's longer. Um, so I don't necessarily think that there's an Isaac comparison with Vassell. Body-wise, the Isaac guy is Jaden McDaniels, who has so many question marks on him that he's not a guy that you're considering until the Knicks later picks. Um, but Vassell, I think is going to be an incredibly talented defender more along the lines of a Paul George. You know, the the size matches up a little bit better there than it does with Jonathan Jonathan Isaac, who, like, Jonathan Isaac could win a Defensive Player of the Year award. I don't know if Vassell will because it's hard for wings to do that typically. Um, But I think that he will be one of the best defenders at his position. You called him the best rookie coming out of the draft, didn't you? Um, He's the best... Rookie defender for sure. Um, I don't know if I would call him the best rookie coming out of the draft, uh, but I, he's one of my favorites. Okay, deal, deal. Don't really care for rookie of the year awards around these parts, all right? They don't really mean anything, all right? We still think uh, R.J. Barrett's better than Tower Hero. <laughs> um, but no, f- f- uh, following up with uh, Vassell, right? I-, I agree with you with defense. We'll get him on the floor. Chris Vernon, uh, for the ringer, always mentions that on his podcast. If you know defense, you'll be on the floor much faster than your offense, unless like you're just unless you have like the upper echelon of just scorching hot and so consistent at being scorching hot all the time. But with you mentioned the volume, right, with Vassell. So, and you mentioned the the forty percent maybe a little uh, misleading. And you also talked about his form, his shooting, where it kind of looks like it's a chuck. Do you think these are all things that can be corrected? Do you think there's an expectation? Should we lower our expectations if we take them then? What are you seeing as a transition then from college uh, to the NBA? I mean, these things are hard to project, especially like Devin Vassell has been very secretive of, of his workouts. Like he, he doesn't post a ton of workout videos where you could see tangible improvements. That is fine with me, okay? Everyone gets all hyped with Mitch Robinson dribbling up to like his chest and uh, just slamming and trying to do crossovers. I am fine. Just work out. I want to see the product. I don't care what you're doing. We see we had it with Dennis Smith Jr. just dunking. I just want to see the product, okay? I don't care about these videos. So that is completely fine that he's uh, hidden. Bro. What'd you say? <laughs> Randall working out with big chains on his neck. Isn't, don't you, isn't that what you want to see? Yeah, because that really transpired into a solid 20-whatever win season. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm actually with you. Every time Mitchell Robinson posts a video, it makes me want to throw up. And I wonder if he has got the news who his new coach is. Because if he believes that Tom Thibodeau is going to let him dribble the ball more than one or two times leading into like a dribble handoff... 
I think he's going to have a really rude awakening this season. But, uh, you know, with Vassell, he's the kind of guy that, like, you can, I think you can actually get something out of watching a specific workout video because his game isn't flashy. He's not relying on Dennis Smith Jr.'s athleticism as a, you know, five foot 10 guard. Um, he's the kind of guy, if you saw him change his form a little bit, you can actually be like, oh, you know, that looks better. I could see that translating. Because um, again, I, I'm an eye test guy a lot of the times and, and you have to use both to see how, you know, context actually fits for a certain player. So with Vassell and his shooting form, it's an easy fix. He just shoots the ball a little bit high um, above his head and it, it almost goes behind his head sometimes. So that's where like the catapult chuck comes from. It's not like gross to look at. It's not like you're watching Sean Marion or anything. Um, but it is something that like he's short a lot on his misses. So when you extend the line out a little bit, how does that work? Like, is he going to be able to find the consistency to make that adjustment? And again, he's had a lot of time to work on it. So if we're not going to see what the form looks like and who knows if he even wants to change the form, if his trainers want to change the form, you know, his, his trainers and him and he himself might be like, my form's fine. I'll figure it out. And a lot of times guys turn themselves into good enough shooters, just keeping their form and and getting reps up. So, you know, in an ideal world for me personally, I think that he should alter it a little bit. If he doesn't and he can find a way to be successful, then that's great too. You know, you don't get extra points for having a jump shot that looks like Ray Allen. You know, it, it, it counts all the same. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, he might struggle with his shot a little bit at first. Again, a lot of rookies do. Um, but eventually I think that his role is going to be so simplistic the first few years that all he's going to have to do is worry about spot shooting, um, one or two dribble pull-ups on a closeout, you know, out, getting out in transition. That's going to be his role. That's how he's going to succeed. So because it's so simplified, I think he'll shoot a, you know, a decent percentage, but he's not going to be a guy that you're like, oh man, he's already in the forties as a, a first or second year player. Gotcha. Okay. No, that's that's fine. I could take that. I'd be I'd still be ecstatic to have Vassell on the team. I we need wing players. That was we see the league is transitioning to having a lot of wing players. We and looking at um, you know, just the Atlantic division alone, we got Tatum, Brown, you got Kevin Durant, you got, you know, Pascal Siakam, Simmons is just like even though he's a guard, he's still the size of a wing. There's just a lot of guys that we need and currently no one on the roster is necessarily going to be able to defend those guys unless you want to throw Knox and just you know put your Hail Marys up there hoping that he does it but let's move on to the last guy that you mentioned which is Obi Toppin and there's really I know you mentioned it it's it's the defensive concern Thibodeau you know I know you mentioned Carlos Boozer too he had him working but do you really think that the Knicks could succeed and obviously this comes as the caveat you mentioned that Mitch is the defensive anchor Unlike John, I do think he can be a defensive anchor. I don't think we had the fit to really show to spread out the floor and all those things because it was very clogged in the paint. And he's only two years in, didn't have a college experience, very raw, and he just needs time. So what do you think about Obi with his defense? Is he able to correct it? Is he able to like work on it? How is typical going to have him done? And then we can move on to 27. Yeah, so out of all the guys with concerns about their weaknesses, Obi's defense is the biggest out of the, the the guys that I mentioned to me. If you don't have somebody to cover for him defensively, if you have this idea in your head that 
you know what, maybe he could play a little bit of small ball five and like he'll, he's athletic. So he'll block shots. And I think you're going to be disappointed. If you think that I've seen people in the media think that he could play a little three. I also think you're a crazy person. If you believe that, um, because he's like, you know, similarly sized to a guy like Jason Tatum or, or, you know, Ben Simmons. The problem with him defensively is that he has super tight hips. You know, he's like, this jacked up dude up top, but then he's like a pencil um, down low. And he just doesn't move that well laterally. So like, if you're worried about a guy who is going to be taken advantage of on, you know, switches. Yeah. There's some concerns there that he's not going to be able to move his feet well enough to guard out on the perimeter. I'm concerned about that for him. Um, I think he probably is a little bit better closer to the rim. I think he'll be able to, you know, as he gets stronger and, you know, grows into his body more and more, you know, an actual professional development team is like, hey, let's not skip leg day. Um, and he he gets a stronger base. You know, I, that kind of stuff around the rim, maybe I'm not as worried about. But yeah, switching out on the perimeter is going to be tough for him. I, I mean, you look at all the talent there is in this league out on the perimeter, and it's a nightmare. You know, it's like... <laughs> Every night you're going up against somebody who can go get buckets. And as NBA teams have continued to get smarter, it's like, all right, our offense is geared to figuring out where we can find a weakness in the defense and who we can take advantage of in a mismatch. So if you don't have the right team around Obi, I do think that it'll be hard. He'll be a guy who puts up a bunch of points, and but is he a guy who gives up just as many or more? And if he's a guy that does end up struggling offensively at any point, then you're like, well, what does this guy do for me on this team? And and that's the concern with him. I don't, I personally believe that his offense is safe enough that that won't be a major concern. And that even if he can't figure it out fully defensively, you'll be able to bring him off the bench and find minutes for him because, you know, he's not Ennis Cantor who can just score down low. He can shoot it. He can pass it. You know, there's, there's things that he does on offense that are valuable and he can take advantage almost like, like David Lee, you know, like David Lee was a, a very good offensive player who did a lot of good things. And like you saw in that first golden state championship run, like David Lee came off the bench and actually made a difference. Um, you know, so it's like, I think Obi can, even if he he can't guard at all, I think he could find his way onto good teams in a, in a certain role. Your hope that you can build a team with him, around him, um, that covers for his strengths. And again, you know, I'm, I'm also a little bit weary about Mitch's ability to stay on the floor. You know, I think that if he could figure out how to do it, I think that he can guard out on the perimeter, he could switch, he could protect the rim, all that stuff. But like, if you're only playing 20 minutes because you can't stop fouling guys it's hard for the entire team to find consistency on the defensive end. So I'm also worried about that, but if he can figure that out, he's a good guy to put, you know, put next to Obi because their skill sets do theoretically fit nicely next to each other. The problem is you're actually, you know, really playing a game. You're not theoretically playing a game. It's not a simulation. So you got to actually make these developmental things happen to make the most of the pairing. For sure. Totally. And you know, I guess that's just my concern with Obi. You know, I, if it were me, I would choose either Vassell or Kara Lewis between the two. I would, if Obi was there, I'd consider it, but I may be inclined to look elsewhere just because if, if I know Thibodeau's main thing is going to be defense and I don't know what the defensive level of this team is going to be, 
if we just add a guy and our defense is just horrendous, uh, it's just it's going to be a wash of a team of that point. But Corey, with the three guys that you mentioned, right? If all of them are available at the eighth pick, are you going with Kira since he's your number one dude? You you you. Yeah, I'm going with Kyra. Kyra Lewis. Um, Kyra, yeah. Again, he's he's higher. He's the highest guy on my board, um, and uh, I think he's going to be a guy like you know we've mentioned Donovan Mitchell, where we look at the draft in a couple of years and we go, oh man, how did how did this guy go to pick you know fall to pick 14 or 15 or whatever? Like, how did we not see it? Like, I think he's a guy. If you look at the direction that the NBA game is being played, I think he's he's a guy who fits it. I 100% agree. And now with that, let's move on to the 27th pick. Um, so we got this pick through the trade of Marcus Morris to the Clippers that John is just so – he will John hangs that banner in MSG all the time. Just raise the banner for that trade. Yeah, man. We, we can't stop talking about the KP trade. We beat Jerry West on a trade midseason, and then they failed to advance with it. Like – that's crazy. The Knicks did something what right. Let's let's praise them. Hallelujah indeed. We finally did something right and now we can actually like do what the Knicks wanted to do, which is maintain more assets, right? Move forward in a good direction and actually work through the draft, which is just mind-boggling since we have not done this since the Mellow trade. Um who we still stand for on this podcast. So, Corey, with your top 3 options for the 27th pick, who are they? Okay, I'd like to say that I also stand for Mello. I think that, uh, Let's go. you know, he's the kind of guy, he took on the challenge. And he brought a level of success to the Knicks that they haven't seen over the last 20 years outside of, out of you know, a year or two here and there. So when things were going right and you see what happens when, when you build a team around a player like that and to his strengths and how successful you could be, I think... Mello's time in New York, while it didn't end perfectly, I still believe that it was a good move. And and while you would have ideally liked to see, you know, the Knicks just wait it out and sign him instead of giving up assets and all that, you know, it is what it is. It's, that's not his fault. <laughs> you know, that's not his fault. Um, so my uh, my three guys were it, there's a this was hard because there's a lot of guys in this range that the Knicks could pick, and that I would be like, wow, what a great pick you know, at that spot. And it's so hard again, because I'm like I mentioned, the draft flattens out at a certain point, And like the range of players who could be selected from like 15 to like 45 <laughs> is like so absurd. Um, but I'm going to give three guys in that area that I like and that I think would be good picks for the Knicks. Um, the first guy, and again, this is a guy who I think could be selected before, but he could also be selected much later, is Malachi Flynn. I love Malachi Flynn. I have him 15th on my board, which is probably higher. Um, a lot of people have him more in like the second round, end of the first. I, th- I think he's a guy who's going to be moving up draft boards in the next month. Um, I also la- uh, have Tyrell Terry in this spot, who again, <laughs> I mean – you you love off season rumors of guys who have put on uh, twenty pounds and have you know grown three inches. He's one of those guys. Um, point guard at sniper out of Stanford, and then uh, I have a guy like Jordan Nawara um, from Louisville around this spot. And again, he maybe he can go 
in the high 20s. Maybe he goes earlier in the uh, second round. Malachi Flynn, I think, is another guy who just fits the way that the NBA game is played. He's a guy who's an absolute killer in pick and rolls. He's a competitor. He's he's fiery. He he grinds on the defensive end. Like he's he's not like super short, but he's like built. Like he doesn't get bullied on defense. He's smart. He can pass the rock. He could shoot it. He could score at all three levels. You know, he's a guy that I tweeted out at one point, like he's a guy that goes to the Miami Heat next year at pick 20. And then we're all just like, how did they do it again? Because he's a guy that I think like fits that culture. And and we've seen what like Miami Heat culture is about this year, right? We, we saw with the success, them pushing the Lakers to six games in the finals. Um, and he's a guy that I think would like fit there. So if you can get a guy who would fit into the Miami Heat culture, in my opinion, and is a guy worth taking. He's a guy that I think the Knicks Knicks fans would love. And again, Raymond Felton's the last Knicks point guard. Like he's got potential to be better than Raymond Felton. Um, another guy, Tyrell Terry. Oh man, that's a low. <laughs> Tyrell Terry is one of the smartest players in the draft. I mean, probably not shocking. He went to Stanford, um, but he's that smart on the basketball court as well. There, he has an argument to be the best shooter in the draft, um, especially, you know, at the point guard spot. And we've seen what guys like Steph and Trey Young, guys who could pull it off the bounce, you know, enter a threat once you cross half court. We, we see what that does in opening up an offense. If he, you know, if he's grown, which I believe he has, um, I mean, there's video of it, uh, of him stronger you see the athleticism difference of him actually like he's a guy that i think a workout video you're like oh wait he's got a little bit more bounce than i thought he did you know he's not like dennis smith who we already know that dude can jump we don't need to see him windmill like we get it like tyrell terry you you actually see him and and you see how more athletic he's gotten since uh the college season has ended and you're like i kind of i didn't i didn't see that from him um he looks like an NBA level athlete. You know, that was a concern. That's something that to me was a little bit impressive. And again, I think that he's a guy, well, his ball handling is not at the same level as some of the point guards that I mentioned. He's a fine ball handler. And I think that he's a better passer than he got to show in college because he played off ball a lot. And when you have a shooter like that, you know, it's kind of a good thing that he can play off ball because you also want RJ Barrett to have the ball in his hands. So if you have a guy who could fit in offensively next to RJ, you know, be the the lead ball handler, but also give the ball to RJ a little bit and go space the floor. I mean, that's not a bad thing to have either. So, uh, you know, I love Tyrell Terry. I think he's going to be a really good NBA player. Um, and then, you know, with Jordan Nwara, uh, I could have put like Isaiah Joe here. I just, I look at the way that the NBA game is played and, and in this range with both of the Knicks picks, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to go draft Jaden McDaniels where you're hoping that the guy with potential pans out. I want to go with guys that I see have skill sets that fit the NBA because a lot of times we look at guys and we go, you know, they're a jack of all trades. They're so skilled. They're this and that. Well, guess what? You get to the NBA, you don't get to use those skills because now you're playing next to Damian Lillard. So I don't, you know, you're, you have to fit in and I'm looking at guys who could fit in and guys who could shoot off movement. We saw what, how valuable Duncan Robinson was Tyler hero, even though Tyler hero kind of sucked a little bit in the the finals games. He's a rookie that happens. You guys believe that RJ Barrett's better anyway. So, you know, 
you were probably thrilled. And but I, uh, Harrow's 20 years old, dude. It's kind of hard for him to go up in the finals and start yeah. doing things. No, I, I totally get that too. Like Hero, like there's there's reasons why he was able to succeed. One, Miami, better culture, better development at the time. You're also having established, uh, established players like Jimmy Butler. Bam Adebayo took it to another level this season. Easier for him to succeed. I think there's just a lot of just like nonsense where we try to say who's greater, LeBron James or Michael Jordan. Uh, Tyler Harrow is now better than R.J. Barrett. Just what? Yeah. Man, just can we just wait for their like time to like fully shine in the NBA comes? Let's stop making all these proclamations. But yeah, no, the, you can continue. I can go on around. Yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that like guys like that, um, who you know are going to like knock down shots and run off screens and they don't need the ball in their hands and they can be complimentary players, but they have like one elite skill that they could focus on and get better at. And, and I think that what we're going to see trending more and more is those are the guys that are going to succeed later in the draft. You know, it, it's hard later in the draft to get a guy who's going to turn into Gilbert Arenas. Or, you know, like that's very, very rare that you get that really skilled player that just has the chip on his shoulder and just blows away and everyone was wrong on. It's hard. So, you know, to me, I, I look at a guy like Jordan Warren and he's got good size. He's smart. Um, you know, he's a little bit on the older side, uh, now he's a junior. So he, he, you know, he played from a, at a good program and, um, he's going to come in and, and I think like find a way to fit in. So those are the kind of guys I would look at just guys that I, I think are, are the guys that have at least like one skill that they can always fall back on, even if the rest of their game never develops. Gotcha. So, oh, what were you going to say, John? Oh, uh, uh, before we just uh, hammer at these uh, guys, you, uh, at this point, are Maxi, like Halliburton, RJ Hampton, like Bain, are all those guys gone, or are they just like lower on your board? Uh, I think most of those guys are gone. That's why, like, if Maxi's there, like, yeah. run and take him. <laughs> you know, if Halliburton's there, there's I I don't think there's a chance Halliburton will be there. But if he is, that's like, go get him. He's a steal. He's gonna be a guy. Again, I have him around like. 21st, 22nd, something like that on my board, but he's also a guy that I know is going to be better than a bunch of the guys I have ahead of him. I already know that about him. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that like you look at him and as like a point, I don't think he's a point guard necessarily. I think he's like, he's just a guard who can run the point sometimes, but he's also better off playing next to a primary playmaker. So he could just spread the floor, knock down open shots. And then every once in a while, you know, the ball swings to him and he can run a pick and roll, make plays off closeout, stuff like that. Um, you know, Desmond Bain's interesting. And I know that he is like draft Twitter is like Cinderella, like draft Twitter loves Desmond Bain. And I get it. I do. But I think he's a guy that like, he's one of those guys like uh, that I mentioned that, while he does have the skill of his shooting and he's got like the numbers and stuff, like I said, I like the eye test a little bit too. I want to see him as the shooter in the NBA because his shot is so friggin' weird to look at. He's another, I, I don't even know how to explain it. And every time it goes in, I'm like, I don't know how that went in. It looks like it should have been short or long or ended up on the other side of the back. It just, it's ugly. I, I, I hate watching it. And I don't know how much of the rest of his game he's going to be able to show off. It's all going to be dependent on where he lands. I, I think he's going to be good. 
I liken him to like, I think he's this year is like Grant Williams at this time. Well, not this time last year, because obviously we're pushed back with, you know, the quarantine or whatever, but pre-draft last year, everybody was like Grant Williams, Grant Williams, Grant Williams. And now I'm seeing the same thing with Desmond Bain. It's like Grant Williams, pretty good player. Pretty good. Um, right. You know, I don't think the Celtics are like, we made a mistake taking him. You know, I, I would, I take him as, as a role player. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just kind of, I feel the same way about Desmond Bain as I did with Grant Williams. Like he's fine. If, if they took him, I guess I'd be like, okay, (laughs) I I wouldn't be, I wouldn't like be rah-rah or anything. I would just, I'd be like, all right, that's fine. Uh, that was, that was boring. Um, and sometimes boring is better, right? Like, you know, I, I look as a Bulls fan, I look at when, uh, the Bulls drafted Taj Gibson has like an older player who was kind of boring himself. And, and, uh, everyone was kind of disappointed because there was like Marshawn Brooks, I think was there, you know, baby Kobe. And, uh, so sometimes boring is good, but, um, shout out to Taj Gibson, man. Shout out Taj Gibson. (laughs) Still going. Look, I I love Taj. One of the all time great bulls. Um, he's doing the best he can in New York. (laughs) I think he's happy to be home. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I, you know, I think a lot of the other guys you mentioned, I just, I think they're going to be gone. So that's why I, I didn't mention them. That makes sense. Um, so let's dive a little bit deeper then into these guys that you did mention. So I think Malachi Flynn speaks for itself. You talk about a fiery player, a playmaker, a guy who can score on all three levels. Um, is there really then like, what, is, what would you say is like something that would concern you moving him into coming into the NBA and specifically on the Knicks? Um, I don't really have concerns. I think he's just going to be good. <laughs> like, I, I guess the concern is that, you know, he's not going to be a lockdown defensive player, but like, I, I think it, at the point guard position, it's hard to be a lockdown defensive player. You know, I think that Frank is one of the better defensive guards in the league. And if he goes up against Dame, Dame still might put up 45. You know, the, the, the best you could do is just work hard to make the offensive player work hard for their points. And I think that's the kind of player that Malachi Flynn is. Um, yeah, I just think he's going to be good, man. I don't really have concerns about him as an NBA player. I don't have concerns about him coming to New York. I think he's a guy that'll handle it, and he's you know the right kind of player for what you're looking for at a point guard in you know this modern version of the NBA. You you know you're like so we had another guy uh, Jeffrey Campbell, uh, podcaster for ESNY, writer at uh, the Playgrounder and for Daily Knicks now. And he mentioned Malachi Flynn, and now you're mentioning Malachi Flynn, and you're kind of getting me hyped about Malachi Flynn, even though I'm a Carol Lewis type of guy, and I'm thinking maybe the Knicks should just go with a wing first and then get a, a guard later since, you know, we like the Knicks always need a point guard that has been, we, we keep coming back to this, Raymond Felton was the last good Knicks point guard that we had. But I don't know if this draft is necessarily that draft where it's like, these are the star studded point guards. I think they're going to be good and fine point guards in the league. And as you pointed out, you know, when it comes to defending, you know, and this adds into the value of the point guard, right? Scoring is definitely important. Playmaking is definitely important. If you're going to be handling the ball, being a lockdown defender, you know, I'm not really so sold on your point guard necessarily being the lockdown defender that they need to be. If they can score and play make, which is their, primary role right they should be competent defensively but i'm not looking for like sticking to a guy like glue uh at the point guard position you're guarding 
what max two positions usually as a point guard so you're not necessarily the most effective guy defensively you know you're trying to get steals like going to passing lanes but you're not taking on you know wing big wings and you're not taking on power forwards or even centers for that matter so that's fine i but you're everyone's now just hyping up malachi flynn and i don't necessarily say it's hype it's just it's just he just sounds so intriguing now that i have not heard really a negative thing about him maybe it's just that he can't stick to defenders but i am getting more like that's the other alternative it's like fine if we don't get uh kyra i'll I'll gladly take malachi with the 27 but tyrell terry that's another guy that's been very intriguing because his intelligence is something that you know he scored what was he has like a high basketball iq like some test that he did like it was like off the charts but the thing as you mentioned out when he was at stanford is his size I think the one of the biggest concerns is being a guard and when you're driving to the lane being able to take contact right because you're going to hit you're going into trees at some point and you mentioned that he put on weight but is that necessarily is that going to be transferable like is that or it, are we going to see the connection like now that he put on weight is he going to be able to take contact because guys can still put on weight and still shy away from contact so how do you feel about that yeah so the interesting thing about Tyrell Terry is that regardless of his size, he was still a very, very good finisher at the rim. He, I think he was somewhere around like 60% at the rim um, in college. And there's a few reasons. One, he is very crafty and he has good touch. So he can do a lot of those like soft floaters, up and under finishes. He could finish left and right. He's got good footwork. He finds little angles to slither through. But the other thing is he actually goes into contact. Like he will like straight up hold the ball like a running back, jump like shoulder first into a body, take the contact. And even though like he's, you know, slight of frame, like it's still a a man like running athletically at somebody's chest like you're going to move somebody most of the time regardless so he'll that slight movement that he gives off allows him to like get just the separation he needs to get a clean look so you know him just getting stronger i think is going to help him do that at the nba level because obviously there's a difference you know playing against the guys he played against in college versus now he is going into the chest of anthony davis who's also much bigger than anybody he faced in college but I think that the way that he was able to take contact, finish on the offensive end in college, and the fact that he did grow, the fact that he did put on weight, and he will continue to because, again, he's also like pretty young um, for the, for his class, that it's not something I'm necessarily concerned about on the offensive end. Defensively, you know, uh, <laughs> there's con- there's reasons to be concerned about him as a defender. Um the same way that there's a reason to be concerned about almost anybody. He's going up against Damian Lillard and Stephen Curry and Kyrie Irving and, you know, every other elite guard that the NBA has to offer. And, and almost every team has at least one of them at this point, it seems like. So uh, yeah, there's a concern there, but as long as he can continue to be a smart off ball defender, which he is, even if that isn't going to, you know, show up in his his stock numbers um as long as he could just play team defense he will find his way to be on the court because his offense and the way that he could space the floor is going to be valuable enough okay solid do you think he would be able to so defensively do you think he'll fit into a tip system even with these concerns yeah i, I mean i'm interested to see uh 
how Tibbs is going to handle the defense with this Knicks team. Um, I'm looking forward to a thousand ices uh, a game, just ice, ice, ice. Um, but you know, he's <laughs> Terry's a guy, like I said, he's smart. So like if he's guarding a pick and roll, you know, there'll be times that he'll just slither over it. He'll beat his man to the spot and try to cheat over it. Um, or he'll know the scouting report, right? Like if there's not a guy who's going to shoot, he's, he's going to know to go under. And, uh, the only thing that you worry about is like, all right, he's going to be a rookie. He's going to suck. Can he learn and, and find his way on that end? Like, you know, all the things that you'd be worried about, like there are times that every now and then you lose sight of your man. Like that happens, you know, you're you're too focused on the ball and you're going to be way more focused on the ball at the NBA level than you were at college. So can he work the, you know, all of that stuff out over his first two years, three years to where by the time the Knicks are at the point of their rebuild, where they're ready to actually take playoff minutes, you know, with these guys, can he get to that level? And, and I think that he can, especially with, you know, all of the guys the Knicks have hired to help develop, you know, their young players. Okay. I'm so like, I like Tyrell Terry just from like the reports I've been reading. I'm just, as long as he can fit and like most rookies are going to be horrendous. That's why they get limited play time. You wean them in, right? There's very few guys, which is why like I will stand RJ Barrett. Like he played a lot of minutes on a terrible team. The advanced metrics do not do him justice at the same time. He was on a terrible team, but he played just fine. All right. Sometimes the eye test, you you, you rely on more than advanced metrics. Everything has its time and place. I, I like using the eye test more when I'm starting to see if the guy can actually fit on the team. But Tyro Terry, his, his intelligence is what really intrigues me because I think if you just have an intelligent guy at the one, that changes a lot of things. Uh, it just changes the entire game offensively. You know, being able to know who to pass to, how to kick it out, especially if he's crafty and can score makes the game a lot easier for the rest of the team. But the- I just one more thing I want to add on Tyrell Terry. Sure. Um what did Mitchell Robinson shoot this year field goal percentage wise? Like seventy something percent? Yeah, it was like seventy three point like four percent. Like he beat, yeah. built Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah, like something outrageous, right? Yeah. Um just think about offensively the gravity in both directions that a Tyrell Terry Mitchell Robinson pick and roll brings. Oh, oh How do you guard it? Yeah. If he's finishing 60% at the rim and you got a center who can finish 70%, that is just... I mean, Tyrell Terry, like, if you're cheating to stop the roll for Mitch, then, like, you're giving Terry space. And if you're overplaying Tyrell Terry for his shot, then you're letting Mitch roll to the rim. So, like, that pick and roll, if if Tyrell Terry made his way to New York, I look at it and I go, wow, like, that is going to be a very efficient play like you're gonna look at the points per possession on that and it's gonna be like did you know that Tyrell Terry and Mitchell Robinson is one point you know it's the best offensive rating it's gonna be like that kind of thing I think potentially um you know if if Tyrell made his way to New York put it in my veins (laughs) one of the reasons why to circle back why like Knicks Nation is just like salivating over Chris Paul because we've been watching him do you know pick and rolls with everyone for the last like 10, 15 years. And no matter who he's with just ends up being like the best player, you know, whether it's Tyson Chandler and David West, you know, all the way back then, or like Blake Griffin and DeAndre, or even now with, you know, Steven Adams, like it doesn't matter who he's with. He just ends up, they end up being the greatest pick and roll people ever. Cause you have to defend him. 
but also because he plays defense. And, like, I know Alex kind of, like, poo-pooed that in the beginning uh, because uh, maybe Steph Curry is getting to his head a little bit where, like, if he's super amazing, we could, like, hide him in the corner, you know, like that kind of point guard. Or, like, Westbrook stinks on defense, so we can kind of, like, hide him. But I think that's, like, one of our major issues is that we have, like, day after day, especially in our division, right, like Boston and Philly, like, they just have guards, and we we don't have guards that can defend. So, like, I, I, I don't know. I don't really want Derrick Rose, like Chicago Bulls, Derrick Rose at our point guard. Like we need a defense, like a solid defender who no one's going to scare Lillard. Right. But like, at least like just those top 10, 15 point guards, just be like, okay, like we have to like have some sort of scheme, have some sort of like defense where we're going to have to scheme around this point guard. Like no one has schemed around our guards defense in probably like literally seven to 10 years. Like, I can't imagine that was in someone's pre. I think I think you're kind of describing Tyrese Maxey. Um, Tyrese Maxey is an uh, incredibly impressive, um, like point of attack defender. Uh, you know, I he kind of in the same way that like Kyle Lowry is, who you know probably upsets Knicks fans a little bit because uh, apparently, you know, we the Knicks couldn't trade Iman uh, Shumpert for him. <laughs> that that was too much to put into a Kyle Lowry trade, but. Uh, yeah, I think like Tyrese Maxey is the kind of guy that you look at and you're like, you know, if we're going to get a guy at that position who can kind of check these guards a little bit and then actually bring something on the offensive end as well, like even if he's not necessarily a, a quote-unquote point guard um, on the offensive end, he's definitely a guy who is going to make life hell for point guards um, night to night. So, so I, th- I think well, you're I- describing him a little bit. That's all we need in this life. Just like a guard who has to change up what he's doing when he's at half court, not a guard who like, you can just tell every time anyone is running against the Knicks, like they, they do not care what the Knicks are like throwing at them. Like they have something, they're about to run it and it's probably going to work. It's not like if you see like LeBron coming down, like he's, he, he drives down the court and he just waits to see what the defense is going to do. And then he adjusts to that. Like we, we do not do that. Like, no one does that against the Knicks. Like, all right, yeah, cool. We're going to go do this. We're going to run a screen. He is not going to cover it, and we're going to be good to go. We're going to have, like, a, a five-on-three in, like, four seconds. Like, let's just go. Are you telling me Alfred Payton does not cause defenses to shift? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, they've been uh, scouting Alfred Payton for years now so they can beat the Knicks. <laughs> and to bring on Corey's uh, uh, talk about Amon Shumpert for uh, Kyle Lowry, how dare you bring up? A- Terrible times. I was wanting Kyle Lowry, and I had friends who were just like, he's injury prone. I'm just like, but the dude is actually good. Like, I think this is when, like, Houston was trading him to Toronto, too. And I was like, but the dude is actually, like, reliable. It's nice that Amon can rap, rap, and he gave us the, uh, you know, Knicks tape uh, slogan for the 2012-2013 season. But other than high t- Dude, he had a high top. How could you trade him? I love the high top. Fun fact. Someone tried to give me a high top because I had an afro when I was a kid, but butchered the living crap out of it. So that was a that was a wonderful experiment. Um, but I really want to get back on track to Jordan Nuora. Is that how you pronounce it? Okay, never heard of him. Like I'm nowhere near the draft level of you, Corey, which is why we have you on here today. Uh, but like, what? Wh- why? Why? What? What? What is so intriguing? Like I know you went through the whole 
like list of just like guys who are not uh you know they're you can ha- if you're a jack of all trades you're 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 a specialist not right you're, you really have no true tangible skill that you can use at the nba what you were talking about and i agree with that to some extent because there's very few guys who have elite talents and that we get to see right lebron james damian lillard steph curry and even them they are all elite at one two max three things right and they can all succeed and flourish in the nba because it's built around them but you talked about Jordan Nora having a like specialized skill, but what what's the fit on the Knicks? Um, so he's a guy that you could slide right next to RJ. You know, I I, I think out of all of the pieces the Knicks have, RJ is probably the one guy that you go, all right, he's going to be here in a few years. Um, and he's like six eight, uh, big body kid from Louisville, and he can stroke it, man. Like he's got a quick release, he can run around. He has a little bit off the bounce game, like where if you overplay him, like he can kind of make a move. He can kind of dribble without tripping over his own feet, you know, but like just straight up, like he could, he could shoot the ball. Like he shot 40% from three this year on six attempts a game. He could do it in a multitude of ways, catch and shoot, um, you know, running off screens, going, you know, all the kind of movement stuff. I just look, I'm like, you know, you see the success of guys like that over the history of, you know, the last 20 years or so or whatever. And these guys, like, if you can shoot it like that, you could find a way in the league. Like, again, he's going to be a rookie. I doubt he's going to shoot 40% as a rookie, but I mean, the guy shoots a ton of threes. You know, that's what his role is going to be. His role is going to be a three-point shooter at the next level. He's he's not going to have to worry about the other parts of his game that you're like, oh, he's, you know, he, he's not really the best at uh, making plays and blah, blah, blah. It's like, just let him space the floor for guys. And and he's a guy that like, you don't need him to start necessarily, but like you could see him getting to that point where if he knocks down enough shots, like the spacing he provides will be valuable enough. I, I look at him that you talk about guys that can guard multiple positions. Like he has the size that, you know, he'll be able to switch onto fours. Um, maybe some, you know, bigger twos. Like, I don't think he's a guy that you want guarding point guards in space necessarily, but, um, he's a guy that will be a multi-position defender to some extent. And again, it's just like the 40% three-point shooting and the way that he gets to his spots and the way that he gets to his shots off. I think that that's valuable. Um, and again, winning program, you know, guy who has has done it, you know, for a long time. And uh, yeah, I, I think that he's going to provide a lot of value to the offense. Again, he's a guy that maybe you can get it that second round pick from the Knicks, but when you start getting to the back end of the first round or the early second round, it's almost like stop. Don't play games. Go get your guy. If you believe in a guy, like you don't know who else believes in that guy right before you. So if, if you think that like he's a guy that is worth the 27th pick, go get him. Three point shooting is valuable. And if you think that he's a three point shooter that is going to knock down shots at six foot eight, and you know can guard a little bit like that's valuable i don't need him to do a bunch of other stuff i need him to do those two things and i think that when you simplify roles like that he's a guy that it's easy for me to envision him succeeding so a true three and d volume shooter is what you're saying uh i, I, I could take that and with that that's where i would switch then i would take uh uh kyra and then uh Nora at this position i think that would still be a good pairing for what the knicks need because as we saw knicks were just dead last in, in a lot of things when especially when it came to scoring or close to dead last when it came to scoring three-point shooting and, and all those just you know important metrics of winning a game so 
I, I could definitely take that. And so with these three picks then, I, your top pick would be Malachi Flynn then, right? Since you named him first? Okay. All right, solid. I can, I, I could see we're, we're going to move to the 38 section. I'm going to ask you to run down your, your three points, but we can run through the 38 pick uh, quicker. We don't have to go in depth. You can name the three guys. <laughs> And then uh, we can talk about the one guy, your top guy. So you go from three to one, and then we can talk about, about the one. Okay. Uh, Cassius Winston, okay. point guard, Michigan State. Uh, Sam Merrill from Utah State. And Justinian Jessup uh, from Boise State. So a lot of the same reasons that I talked about with the, the previous three guys. You know, Cassius Winston, I think if you were like, what does a New York point guard look like? Like, I think he's his play style is almost the way that you draw it up. Quick, shifty, you know, shoots it off the bounce. Honestly, maybe one of the best pick-and-roll playmakers in the entire draft. Um, he's just a senior, and, uh, you know, he's a little bit on the smaller side, but he's a guy that I've, I've always looked at, and I've been like, he's going to play in the NBA for 12 years. Um, just a winner, awesome leader. Like, he's just everything you want in a point guard. Um, Sam Merrill from Utah State. I, it's it's hard to you know read out context on the internet, but I mentioned in one of my breakdowns that when you watched him at Utah State, there were shades of Luka Doncic. Now, some people were like, that means that he, you're saying he's going to be Luka. What a stupid comparison. And I'm not saying that. He's in college and he's older than Luka is now. He's also three inches shorter. So no, I don't think he's going to be Luka. But I think there, as a playmaker... Like, he's another guy, one of the best pick-and-roll playmakers in the draft at 6'5". He's also a guy, let's talk about shooting, that shot 40% from three and 90% from the line. Another four-year guy who did it over four years. Like, he's just a absolute sniper. Like, this dude is a smart-ass player. Like, he's just heady, knocks down shots, can do it off the bounce, hits threes in your face, hit a ton of clutch shots, like, not afraid um, can do it, catch and shoot off movement, like however you want to play him as an offensive player, worth it. Like because of his age, um, would I take him too early? Probably not because there's guys that I'd look for that maybe have more quote unquote potential than him. But like, I think he's a guy who's just going to be a good NBA player that plays for a while. And then Justinian Jessup, kind of the same thing. One, I love lefties. So shout out RJ Barrett again. Uh, and two, I look at, the same thing, Duncan Robinson, guys who shoot off movement. Like this dude shoots it off movement, strokes the ball, great looking form. And then like you overplay it, like he's going to be able to run off a DHO and then hit the roll man in a short roll. You know, he'll hit the corner guy. Like they're just like smart players. And at 38, you know, I, I want to take guys that like, I know what I'm potentially getting out of them. I saw what they did over a body of work. I don't need to take Jaden McDaniels and hope that he pans out. I have Kevin Knox already. You know, I don't need another guy like that. Um, so those are guys, again, that I think fit what the NBA is about in some capacity, and I would take a shot on them and and let them grow. Maybe they, some of these, you know, maybe Jessup will need some reps in the G League. You know, I, that's fine, right? There's no rush. Um, but you know that, like, he's a guy that, if he figures it out, is going to be able to stroke the ball, stretch the floor, and be efficient on offense. 100%. And I agree, right? I think the value and the view of the second rounders now has completely changed for what it was just like even 10, 10 years ago, right? We can look at like the 2003 draft and a lot of the second rounders are probably not even in the NBA or we don't even know who they were at that time, right? 
The most notable one we probably have is Draymond Green, right? Second rounder, became like a an all-star, true asset to the Golden State Warriors and their championship runs. And now I think we're looking at second rounders saying that, wow, wait a minute, we can actually get value from guys that we know who can contribute. We know what we're going to get out of them. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, Corey, is that second rounder, I want to know what I'm getting. I don't need a project. Do not want a project at that point. Like I, if I'm going to get a project, maybe I go for the guy who has a lot of upside in the first round, right? Maybe that guy who I could see can potentially be this if we work with him enough. And if he has that grind, can totally be that. Second rounder, I want something, I don't necessarily say safe. I guess it is kind of safe, but more so established, right? Uh, I, I forget the name of the player right now because I'm, who was the first one that you said that could shoot for four years, shot 40%, uh, three and 90% of the line? Sam Merrill. Sam Merrill, right? Yeah. If you're saying that for four years, senior, and that's the other thing, like a lot of one and dones, I'll take four years of someone who's consistent, showing they can shoot 90% at the line and 40% from the college three. That's amazing. Like I know, at least know what I'm getting at the college level. So love, love those love those players. Um, now for the big one for Knicks, right? It's now draft night. You're 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 we're on rose for us at this moment. Uh, and uh, Walt Perrin, all these guys were in the hats. Zanin, whoever. What are? Who are you going with? What is? It, what are the selections that you're making? For for each pick. Mm-hmm. Ideally, okay. Um, ideally, I am gonna go uh, Kyra Lewis mm-hmm. at eight. I'm still taking Malachi Flynn. Oh, okay. And uh, and I'm probably gonna take uh, Sam Merrill in the second round. Okay. And Sam Merrill is a wing, right? I'm I'm not going crazy. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a shooting. He's like six five. Yeah. Okay, that's I like that. I, I I know people want wings and people want to be that heavy. Maybe Sam Merrill can be a instant. You know, someone you maybe not a lot of minutes off the bench, but someone you run in the Julie, get the one two years out of them down there, and then bring them up slowly. But I like that selection. Uh, what is it now? Why did you select? two guards just curious is it just because the knicks as a team like we're depleted at like point guard and it's just like real like uh reassurance for one or the other or is just because of talent Uh, i think it's talent and i think that you look at some of these teams in the nba that have had success like i'm not afraid to play kyra lewis and malachi flynn together you know i'm not like in your division you have uh fred van vliet and kyle lowry playing next to each other to a ton of success. So to me, like get the talent, like these two guys are guys I know that could play. And, uh, you know, look, if, if one of them hits and one of them doesn't, then you got one that hit, right. It's another shot at the board. Um, yeah, I would love for one of those guys to grow a few inches and and turn into a wing with the same game. But like, I, I don't think the Knicks are at the point where you're just like, all right, how do we build the perfect roster? Because there are other avenues to do that. You have to look at free agency. You have to look at trades in the draft. Go get me guys that I think are valuable. Get me guys that are going to outperform their draft spot. Um, because again, like we said, there's more ways to build a team. Maybe one of these guys shows something and you flip them for a player that is of equal talent, but fits the roster later, uh, better down later down the line. So you know, that, that's why I think that I would go out of the guys that I mentioned. Um, that's the order I would, I would go for, especially like, you know, if Devin Vassell goes before the Knicks pick, which I think that there is a chance that he does. Um, I'm not going to reach for, in my opinion, like 
Isaac Okoro because I think I can get Malachi Flynn later. Like I'm going to go get the guys that I believe are of better talent. I like Malachi Flynn more than I like Jordan Noir. I like Jordan Noir. I like guys like that and think that they can provide value. But I'm going to get the guys that I think are going to be the best players. And like I said, I'm not afraid to play Kyra and Malachi in the same backcourt because I think that if those guys both pan out, you're that's incredibly dangerous. <laughs> um, and both guys can play make and play off ball. So uh, yeah, that's why I selected kind of guys that almost seem like it's all the same fit, but I'm not really concerned about it. It's positionless NBA right now. There's no rules. You, you play the best players. You know, the, the Houston Rockets are all the same exact size at this point. So it, it, it doesn't matter. Go play your five best players and, and figure it out. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I'm hoping that with the, with the late draft picks, especially that they're running the sort of Mitchell Robinson philosophy that you guys have been mentioning over and over, where it's just like, we, we, we know what you are. Like you, you're a rebounder and you're tall and you're going to play defense. Like that's fine. Like that's all we need. Um, and because I don't know, I, I've brought it up a couple of times, like Izzy, Iggy, uh, who we have, um, in our Westchester Knicks all year, he's supposed to be coming and developing and supposed to be good for the Knicks. I would love to see it with our new front office and our new head coach, but any player that we kind of throw into D, to our G League uh, that does well, it kind of never pans out for us. Uh, I know we have like Wooten coming now, um, but usually like those guys just don't fit well with the Knicks. They go to other teams and they prosper. Uh, they do well with our Westchester, but they're never like good with our, you know, NBA team. So it just kind of worries me when we uh, draft for the G League as like a developmental because of Iggy, like he was a beast in Michigan. He's been a beast in Westchester. And I just feel like even if he cracks our lineup, he's just not going to be great. And it has nothing to do with him. It has everything to do with us. So I really am hoping that they kind of do draft, um, not for projects like Alex was saying as well, but for kind of just like, we know what you are, like take it. And for me, we kind of haven't mentioned it at all. And it really comes down to the 27th pick and what's going to be there. Like we just have no idea what's going to happen. It's going to be insane. But, like, if R.J. Hampton is around or, like, we can get him in the second round and we could just, like, play with him and, see, like, see what happens type deal, like, I'd be okay with that as well. Um, or, of course, if Halliburton's there, Maxie's there, but I don't think they're going to be there at 27, uh, like you had mentioned as well. I don't know. Uh, my, my – I, I guess if the Knicks get Vassell at eight, I just won't care anymore. <laughs> like, I'll just be like, okay, like, we got our guy, we got our Tibbs guy, everything else is for free. Uh, again, because the 27th pick just like rolled into us. Um, so that's really how it's going, how it's going for me. Do you think that Bain could slip in the second round? I know we, I know we haven't really, uh, we kind of just like threw Bain out because he is like the fan favorite that everyone likes and is probably not going to do well. Uh, kind of like Monk, right. Um, who are all like going crazy over who can, can't even crack the lineup in Charlotte. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he'll be around at the second round pick. I think that, I mean, it's kind of an early second round pick, so there's a chance. Um, and there's also a chance that he'll be around at, at 27 and or that he'll be gone. Like, his range is kind of hard to predict. Um, I think with Iggy, I'm glad you mentioned Iggy. And, and I think that the Knicks are ready to get out of that kind of let's not develop play guys that we're developing. Like last year, one of the reasons I think they screwed up signing Bobby Portis and, and the Morris and Marcus Morris um, is it's like, yeah, Marcus Morris netted them the 27th pick. That was a great trade. 
you know, for what they had to endure to get it. But it's like, maybe Kevin Knox just develops differently if if he didn't have to worry about, you know, sharing time with these guys. And maybe the value of that was better than what you might get at the 27th pick. Maybe if you didn't have, you know, these guys that the Knicks signed for whatever reason, I guess they thought they would help them win, even though that was an insane thing to think about at the time. Like maybe Iggy actually does come down towards the end of the year and, and show some stuff at, at the NBA level. So, but like, you know, with the hiring of Thibodeau, Leon Rose, Walt Perrin, all these guys, like maybe the Knicks are ready to break that mold and actually like, you know what, who cares about names? We got our guys, they're showing stuff. Let's do this like actual NBA teams do. And when we're developing them, like, that means they're earning minutes and let's see what they have and, and play them and, and try to do things the right way. Cause like, you know, with Knox, I still kind of believe in him. I, you know, I think he was in a crummy situation and, and I think that there's a lot of raw talent and there's a chance that he just busts or he turns into like, you know, just a guy you could play off the bench that could, you know, be a microwave guy at some point, but there's also a chance that like his size and athleticism and shot making ability, like he figures it out to some extent and becomes you know, a a third or fourth guy in a starting lineup on a good team. You know, maybe he, maybe he turns into like later years, Rudy Gay, where it's like, he's just a valuable guy who can guard multiple positions. Um, So I don't know. I think, I think the Knicks are going to be in a good spot and the guys that they hired, I trust to actually make the right decisions. And they're the kind of decisions that like, I don't even think that James Dolan can screw up because I don't think he's going to have his hand in like little matters like that. So you know, I'm I'm high on you know who the Knicks hired and and the direction that they're going to be able to take the team. Um, you know, even if you're not seeing it immediately. Yeah, at this point, Dolan has nothing to do with the Kentucky CAA Knicks like that. He has nothing to do with their decisions, in my opinion. <laughs> Kentucky CAA Knicks. I mean, to be fair, Dolan really hasn't done much from with the organization since like the Mellow trade. Like, it's he's been pretty quiet. If anything, you can have a gripe and just like who he's hired to run the organization, which Phil, allowing Phil to hire Derek Fisher and Jeff Hornacek and then promoting his guy, Steve Mills, you know, those are the issues I could take with Dolan because you should be looking for guys who are actually talented or going outside the box, which he did this time. He went outside the box. He got an, he got an agent and we saw the agent work with the Lakers. Rob Polinka helped him take him to a championship, was able to do whatever, even though they had Magic Johnson and everyone, LeBron just wanted to go there. A lot, a lot of other factors, but we now see, and even with uh, the Golden State Warriors, right, with uh, Myers, there's there's frameworks where you can say, oh, the agent track has not worked, so let's give it a shot. Um, fine. But it's great to hear someone who's a Bulls fan, not really rooting for the Knicks, say that they have trust in this organization because for the past 20 years, us fans, we keep coming back for more, and we have no reason to actually have trust, but thank you, Corey, for reaffirming our trust issues. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. I, you know, that, that's that's what that's why I came on just just so I can reaffirm uh, as an outsider reason to be optimistic about uh, Knicks basketball. <laughs> Thank you, Corey. And with that, that covers our Knicks portion of this podcast and the draft coverage. So now we're going to take a quick little break and then go into our etc. All right, guys, and we're back with the etc. Portion of this podcast. So, John, what do we got for etc. Today? Oh, what's up, Alex? We're gonna we're gonna push the Yankees heartbreak to to the next Jets pod, but for this, etc., we'll just be hammering into the NBA bubble. LeBron, he another chip, AD, the Lakers, Rondo, 
the first uh, player to win the chip with the Lakers and the Celtics. We got the whole Kobe narrative. Uh, what do you guys think? Just, uh, I mean, I think the finals was just like a fall off the cliff, but we kind of already knew that was going to happen. Uh, but it was weird. We thought the Western Conference finals was going to be the chip. It turned out to be like the Eastern Conference finals was the best series uh, of the bubble. But what did you guys think about how it, how it was, how it all ended, um, how they were able to create a Corona-free, for the most part, bubble in the NBA. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when, uh, you know, rest in peace to Kobe and Gianna and thoughts and prayers and condolences to the Bryant family. You know, when we lost Kobe and Gianna, I kind of had, you know, that feeling that there's more passion, especially since LeBron and Kobe have had such a tight relationship that, and even Anthony Davis, because he was part of that same uh, Olympic team, that they were really going to come out and do it for Kobe and really give it everything they had. And, you know, they did do that. They did come out there and put it, left it all on the court. The Lakers just really turned it on game six. Like, we saw two brilliant performances from also Tom Thibodeau product, uh, Jimmy Butler. So, RJ, we have hopes for you. Um, but, you know, even with those types of performances by Jimmy Butler – you know, they've had a lot of injuries. You know, we could talk about that. But the Lakers really came out, and a lot of key contributors from Caruso uh, and KCP just, like, really just, like, helping the Lakers. But, honestly, Anthony Davis and LeBron James just pay- played at a level that was otherworldly. Just, you know, triple-doubles, double-doubles, dominant performances in the paint. The way Anthony Davis was playing defense, just blocking shots left and right. Kendrick, no- I was... I was really questioning what Kendrick Nunn was doing every time he drove and was really trying to go at Anthony Davis. Like, you're a rookie? Like, you know he's going to just block that, right? Like, he's reading that. Like, as soon as you crossed half court, he's like, oh, this is what's happening? Give me a second, fam. I got this. Um, Yeah, I I think it it was just kind of like, I I felt like it was just kind of written this year. But Corey, what do you you think of this? Uh, what What do you think of the finals, the whole bubble experience? Well, yeah, shout out to the NBA for, you know, pulling the bubble off, not getting any cases, no delayed games, no, you know, having to, you know, suspend players or or anything like that. They, They figured it out. It'll be really interesting to see how they move forward next season when we don't know if the situation will be any different in the world. But uh, as far as the finals goes, I think it, it shows you like, Regardless of all of the stuff we just discussed, you just need talent to win the NBA championship. Like, you need the best players. Like, the Lakers had LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who are, you know, probably two of the f- top five to eight uh, or best players, uh, one to eight in the NBA. And they had two of those guys. Um, talent wins. You know, Jimmy Butler was unbelievable, you know, in, in two of those games. And it shows you like as great as he was, it's so hard to pull that off night to night. And, and LeBron did that. I don't necessarily, you know, put Anthony Davis in that same tier because as good as his numbers were, sometimes it did feel like he disappeared. Obviously defensively, he was there, you know, as much as he, he is. And he's an unbelievable defender. And some of the, the, the possessions you were just like, these guys literally are afraid to, do anything at the rim. And and you even saw that with Jimmy Butler, who is notoriously one of the best atta- rim attackers, you know, in the league year to year since he came in. And even he was scared and he would, 
you know, do the thing where instead of trying to attempt a layup, they'd kick it out. So obviously Anthony Davis had an immense uh, impact, but yeah, LeBron is just, it was, it was greatness, man. And, and watching him do it year in, year out as, I mean, I remember being in high school and watching this dude and now I'm like, and almost entering my mid thirties and he's still, you know, one of the two to three best players, maybe the best player in the league winning championships. It's, it doesn't make sense. I, it's one more reason I believe we're all living in a simulation and, uh, you know, hopefully by the time, uh, the bulls or the Knicks are ready to compete, hopefully he's retired from the league and still not putting up 39 and nine every night. Yeah. I mean, his longevity is actually insane. Um, when you look at LeBron's numbers and it's honestly, that's why it's a travesty to even compare him to Jordan. And when we start comparing him to things and people and eras and anything, um, it's just a, it's honestly like it's a travesty to his career. He's a monster. I mean, I still remember uh, vividly like the, his first game versus the Kings where he put up that triple double. Like I like remember, and it feels like I was a fetus at the time. Like you said, you know what I mean? Um, so I agree. LeBron is crazy. And it's funny you mentioned like, Oh, the bulls and the Knicks, hopefully they'll be good when he retires. I, I think that the reason that all these teams are not good is because he's in the league. Like the reason why I hate, the Bulls and why I hate Jordan is because he ruined the Knicks for like 10, 15 years. And all their moves, like, even if he wasn't there to beat them, like all their moves are corresponding to the Bulls. And like, that's what we did too. If it wasn't for us, like it wasn't for the Knicks trying to develop their entire team around LeBron James's free agency, maybe our, our entire, you know, last decade would be different. You know what I mean? Like we literally like pieced everything together so that we could have nobody on our team, like have the worst team ever by 2004. And then once it didn't work out with LeBron, we're just like still the worst team ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? And maybe if we didn't like do all that um, and then like force away for Carmelo later on, things would have been a little bit different. So LeBron it does affect the entire league, even with him just doing his thing, you know, in the Western Conference now, like it doesn't matter. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, when it comes, when it relates to uh, the Knicks, though, and and when when I'm watching the finals, it always is oh players that play for the Knicks are now in the finals, or now that players do well in the playoffs, they always get linked back to the Knicks. So I'll, I guess I'll be that guy today. Um, do you think that Drogic, uh, you know, an old Drogic who has been rumored to the Knicks forever now, uh, and now he's got the plantar. And now he's a free agent at 34. I mean, an injured player the Knicks always love, who's you know who probably can't do it anymore. That that's like a perfect Nick in my eyes. Yeah, it is the perfect Nick. I would say no. I would say them they're gonna run that thing back with Drogic just because you. What, what do you do? You give him like another two years. You work up Kendrick Nunn. You work up Tyler Hero. You have a guy who can mold them. I don't. He would rather he would probably rather take a lesser deal if that was the case and stay with Miami than come to the Knicks and be part of a rebuilding team. I don't see that one happening. I just will completely like, you know, Corey mentioned it uh, today uh, with DJ Augustine, John's favorite point guard that he does not want on the Knicks. Um, but he, DJ Augustine, Chris Paul are more likely than uh, Drogic in my opinion, and by a long shot, like country mile style, like there, there's no way Drogic's coming to the Knicks. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I think they're the Heat are going to take care of him, even if it's on a short-term deal. And I think that's the move for him. I think that for him to leave Miami, 
I think a team really has to put a big offer on the table for him. And is that out of the realm of possibility? We've seen the NBA be crazy before, but I think that there are going to be teams that are more worried about giving a guy like him a contract in this specific offseason just because of the uncertainty going forward, how much money teams are going to lose. Like, you're not going to throw money at a guy who's not an absolute you know, top 10, 15 player game changer. You're not, you're, you're going to at least be able to convince your fan base to wait it out uh, a year or two. You know, maybe you start leaking plans like, no, actually we're not going to spend this year because we're waiting for Giannis's free agency. You know, you start doing that whole uh, song and dance. But I, I think that the move is to run it back. Like you said, let the other guys develop, continue the, the chemistry and, and, you know, Miami wants to continue to be the organization that pushes forward and competes at least for a shot to get to the championship because they actually are one of those teams that is trying to lure Giannis and it's like probably has a shot at it. If if Giannis does leave, that's one of the destinations that you could see him going to. So for them, they have to stay competitive and uh, keeping Dragic, even if it's on a short-term big deal, uh, you know, that that's a move for them. And we've seen them pay worse players like Dion Waiters. So, uh, you know, it, it, I think the move is to to keep him there. <laughs> and he he knew what he was doing. He knew that he was going to have a chip either way. He was like, look, it's either Miami going to be in the finals or the Lakers. And they're going to sign me after I get out of Miami. So I'm going to get a ring either way. But I actually want to talk on uh, John's point on how the league forms to what LeBron's doing because LeBron's the guy you got to beat, you know. every He's been in the finals consistently great feat and even you know when we look even back at the bulls right who was stopping them three out of those five years with thibodeau from entering that race right it was lebron james and you know just like what the bulls did to the knicks he's just a he's just a formidable player durability you know availability is the best ability and not only is he available he and durable he is strong he could take it it's Honestly, just one of the most impressive players I, I, I've witnessed. Just like thankful just to watch him. I'm just I just get tired of like the whole. I mentioned it earlier. I just get tired of the whole MJ LeBron stuff. Like, let's just enjoy it. Let's just watch it. Two different guys, two different eras, two different ways. Rules have changed, like completely from the NBA. You could hand check and legit throw fists when you were playing with Jordan. Like LeBron has the ability to just like body people. And uses it to his advantage, which, you know, we get tired of for some of us, but that's how this, the league has changed. But I guess going back to, and now going back, I just wanted to touch on that, but going back to like the whole, you know, Drogic or anyone else and how is it going to change? Like, do you think, I, I want to talk about the Bulls for you, for Corey, for a second. Where do you see the Bulls going now? Like, when you watch like these fi- when you watch the finals, you see how competitive it is. You know, it's not that it, it doesn't look that tough to get out of the East, right? Like Miami, they built, they built, they have a good team. The Celtics have a good team. Like they're competitors. They're not world beaters, but they're competitors. Every year, if we just if we didn't have LeBron, we never know who's going to the finals any year. We thought it was supposed to be Milwaukee, not Milwaukee. Supposed to be the Clippers, not the Clippers. It was the Miami Heat. It could have been the Celtics. Could have been anybody really. Do you, for the Bulls, what do you see? And I guess for the future, like when do you want them to start being competitive? Like when do you see that window coming? Um, yeah. Well, first thing I'll say, we just praise LeBron James up and down. 
totally deserved. But I want to say the Warriors are coming next year. That is 100%. I agree with that 100%. And they are a team that I think everyone's still sleeping on. They're just like, LeBron's so great. It's like, well, you know who they didn't have to face this year? A really, really good Golden State Warriors. And don't tell me that Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Steph Curry are just like wash of people. They are not at all. The Warriors are coming. They have incredible betting odds right now for next year. Um, Put money on that because from an odds perspective, it's just an incredible bet. They're going to be back. They have the number two pick. They have moves to make. Uh, Say what you want about Andrew Wiggins, but he probably would have hit some of the Harrison Barnes shots in uh, that second finals. The guy could still put the ball in the hole. The franchise, the infrastructure. The Warriors are still there. I wouldn't chalk the Lakers up to an easy road to the finals again. As far as the Bulls. I want them to compete for a playoff spot within the next two years. Hopefully this year. Um, I wanted that last year. Unfortunately, we had the worst coach maybe I've ever watched on a Chicago Bulls sideline. Jim Boylan just, I, I don't like to talk ill of coaches very often because you know, I feel like that parent in the bleachers at a high school game who's like, oh, you know what I would do? do like, I would play. And it's like, these guys know so much about the game um, that it's hard to talk ill. But Jim Boylan had no idea what he was doing. Uh, uh, Corey, I just want to stop you right there for a second. All right. I, I am on the same page. We do a Jets segment of this podcast, and I will gladly crap all over Adam Gase because this is the same level we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, Adam Gase also probably time to go. Probably time to go there. But, yeah, if I had to watch, on the Bulls' perspective, one more pick-and-roll blitz, like, in the third quarter after the teams have figured out how to hit the short roll, I would have lost my mind. But I really don't know what the Bulls' plan is. Like, we have – we're in the same situation. New coach, new management. What does management think of the players that are currently on the team? Uh, Right now, you know, they can't really make moves, so all you're going to do is say positive things. I don't know if they believe those positive things. You know, I, I think that there are guys like Laurie Markinen who took a step back last year who is going to hopefully be a lot better this year because he was a lot better in his second year. He just played for a coach that had no idea how to coach basketball from the head coaching position. You know, I thought Zach Levine was really good. I, and you could tell me that he's not a good defender and whatnot, but the dude scores so effortlessly at a really efficient rate. There's a, there's a way to make that a winning player. Um, you know, I trade, you put him next to Nikola Jokic. I think you're having a, a similar conversation than you would have to Jamal Murray. The rest of the guys, you know, Kobe white, everyone's high on him. I like him. Uh, we'll see how he developed his game. I love Wendell Carter. You know, I think he's, he's a very modern NBA big. I, there's a lot of pieces that are there and we have vets like Thad young and Tomas Sadaransky that, you know, whether you keep them, you move them, like hopefully hopefully Billy Donovan knows how to do more with the roster than we've seen. But, uh, you know, if it turns out that I'm watching Ryan Archie Diacono, you know, start games for the Bulls at some point, you know, I'm, I'm going to be really disappointed. And I hope that at the very least, we're a little bit more competitive in this East. I think, you know, the, the eighth spot, maybe the seventh spot will be up for grabs. Uh, I'll gladly be swept by you know my uh by Milwaukee in the first round I just want to get back to the playoffs you know I was growing very accustomed to being there as a Bulls fan in these last few years 
have been hard. You know, you think like you take for granted playoff basketball when you're there. And, and, you know, when you have to watch a team and just hope for the draft every year and I cover the draft, so it's great. I'm, I know, I, I know who to project. And I know who I want the, the team to take every, every year, but it's nice when you're like, man, who are we going to take with the 26th pick this year? And not because you traded Marcus Morris for him because your team was just good enough to get the 26th or uh, 26th pick. So hopefully they're competing for a playoff spot. Um, I just want to see competitive basketball and competent coaching and, and front office, front office moves from a draft perspective. You know, I really like Denny of Dia. Uh, I think he'd fit in really well for the bulls at the fourth spot. Um, I'd be happy with a number of guys, whatever they want to do. If they want to trade down, if they want to, you know, if LaMelo falls to the bulls, I will be absolutely terrified and have no idea what to expect. Um, (laughs) I can already foresee myself talking myself into LaMelo after everything I've said. Like, I'll say it now. I think he's the best player in the draft. He's going to be a superstar. He's the, the you know, he's a molding of Trey Young and Luka Doncic. He's going to be the best guy ever. So since, you know, I haven't wanted LaMelo, and I know that that means that the universe is going to just put him right in the bull's laps, I got to start mentally talking myself into it right now. I mean, you said it perfectly, and shout out to my guy CP of Knicks Fan TV. You called him, you called Lamelo his play style like a freestyle rapper that night, and I completely 100% agree. You know, good call, and I totally understand being terrified because as a Knicks fan, I know Knicks Nation is like very high on them. We're high on a lot of guys, and then we get them, and then we put this crazy expectation on them, and they don't meet it. So, God bless you, Corey. I just want to say, you know. As 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 a Knicks fan, we understand where Bulls are coming from. Although we did, we have had a much longer uh, turmoil situation for twenty years. So yeah, yeah. It's so like 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 it's a perfect way to end this episode because like literally, you could have just substituted the word Chicago out and just put New York in. It'd be the same exact thing, but just like at a longer period. Like we don't have a coach, we don't have front office. We would love to see the playoffs. Like we we would love to get swept in the playoffs. That would be fantastic. If we win one game, we'll drop the confetti as usual. Like no problem. All the time. <laughs> time. We'll gladly drop the confetti like we did against Miami. Um, but with that, Corey, do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah. You know, normally I would just say, you know, you can head to my website, hardwoodherald.com. You can check out my YouTube videos, but I'm going to make an announcement here. This is the first time I'm saying it publicly. I am putting out an NBA draft magazine. Um, nice. Congrats. It'll be, it'll be available November 1st. Uh, hopefully I'll have the physical copies in hand, which I'll be doing in a limited run. Um, but the PDF version will definitely be available November 1st. I have a bunch of really good people writing for it. I did interviews with uh, our guy CP from Knicks Fan TV. I did interviews with Rashad Phillips, who uh, is a very controversial draft figure on on Twitter. Um, like I said, a bunch of guys contributed to it. It's one of the hardest projects I've ever worked on. I did the artwork for all of it. Um, I wrote for it myself. That's how I'll be releasing my big board. Um, I got, we got way too early predictions. There's a, you know, there's, there's just a bunch of really fun stuff. Um, You can read my way too long explanation of why I I think James Wiseman and Onyeka Okungwu mirror the 2004 draft with Emeka Okafor and Dwight Howard. I mean, you can read why I believe that LaMelo ball is like a freestyle rapper or why he's like being in a, uh, 
you know, a bad relationship with a, a super hot person that uh, the highs are high and the lows are lows. There's just a, a ton of really good stuff. I'm thankful for everybody who has contributed to it. And uh, I'm excited to eventually put it out into the world. Um, you know, we all say print is dead, but sometimes you got to go backwards to move forwards. And uh, I think it's going to be something cool that you can't really get anywhere else when it comes to the NBA draft. That sounds awesome, Corey. Congratulations on doing that. That is, please send me and John the link because I definitely, I would love to subscribe to that. That sounds very interesting. Got to show the support. Please let me know when that comes out. Um, but yeah, and for anyone else who hasn't checked out Corey's website, please check out Corey's website. He does great draft coverage. Please check out the Nothing But Netflix. And now he's got a magazine coming out, which I'm very stoked to read because your images, man, like I did a little bit of like computer graphics back in like high school, just like tampering, because I had no idea what I wanted to do. Your images are just like they're like they are they're they're clean, man. They're clean, crisp, cut. They like the colors just mesh well together. Love all of it, and especially with the the way you do nothing, uh, nothing for uh, what, nothing but Netflix. <laughs> Perfect, man. Perfect. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. This was uh, a lot of fun. You know, I, I love talking about the NBA draft. I, I love talking about the Knicks because, you know, I just want my friends to be happy and my family to be happy. Um, so putting the two together, you know, it's always a good time. And uh, hopefully one day the NBA draft will be back in New York again for real. Th- that would be nice. That's where it deserves to be. But once again, thank you, Corey. Uh, for everyone who is listening, thank you for listening to another long episode of the Knicks, Jets, etc. podcast. But there is nothing much we're going to do for you when it comes to draft coverage because – Knicks fans, we need to know who is out there, who we need on this team to make it better and get us in the right direction. So please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Make sure to follow Corey. I'll be dropping his Twitter handle in the pod description like I do for every other guest that we have. And John, anything else that you got to add? No, that's it. Um, actually, all, all these uh, like these draft uh insights by people like Corey that come on and like about to like drop magazines for us like it's getting me super hyped for not only like the Knicks portion of the draft but like uh, I'm starting to get excited about like the late first round and like the beginning second round where the NBA like TV people just have no idea what's happening they just like you know just like pull out the random stat card and just like oh yeah this guy's gonna be great oh this guy's gonna be fantastic and they just like run through the cycle so um it's really cool to have all this insight so we appreciate you Corey. definitely thank you so much well catch you later everyone and come back for the jets episode of this podcast later this week let's go knicks